off. Cut off. Cut off. Are you talking about are you talking to your AC? I am. <laughs> Leave Sheila alone. <laughs> Why is her name Sheila? Is it is its husband gonna leave it leave it because because um she would lose weight and then, oh, she, then, no. and then she's gonna get with the nice light skinned um police oh, officer no. up in the um wow. in Colorado mountains. Oh, <laughs> but God. Who, who praises Jesus every Sunday? Yes. <laughs> speaking of praise, you, you y'all forgot that was Jesus. that was just Scott David that movie, didn't you? <laughs> speaking of praising Jesus, I assume we're gonna have a conversation about uh. The first good thing Tyler Perry's ever done, which is his plans to kill or retire Medea. That was last week. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I missed out. You should have told me you. I'd have taken the day off to talk about that. I hate that. <laughs> I would have loved to talk about the death of Medea. You know what? Fuck it. We're going we gonna to do it live. They're going to have to hear this fan when, for, as it cut off. The <laughs> there it goes. There it goes. See, a, see, a threat stopped it. All right. Okay. One more time for the That's battle. hilarious. Why is it that every time I bring up my favorite movie or song, y'all call my shit corny? You act like I don't have no taste and no flavor. I'm a Luddite or some bullshit like that. What kind of particular shit is that? It's the shit I like. That's what I like. That's my type of shit. You know? Why don't you know y'all just say something nice? Showtime. Welcome to the Say Something Nice podcast. Film, TV, and music news and discussions plus reviews in addition to our Say Something Nice Challenge, in which we challenge each other to say something nice about the best and worst in pop culture. Be sure to check us out at SSMPodcast.com and on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, and TuneIn. Be sure to like and share the show on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where we are under the handle SSMPodcast. And be sure to comment and rate us five stars on iTunes and Stitcher. My goodness. <clears throat> Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the... <laughs> okay. Hello, it's, everybody. It's whatever you want. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the Say Something Nice podcast. Hi. And I'm leaving all that shit in there about that fan, too. So for, let me introduce everybody first before I go off, because I have rants in my heart before we get started. I'm here with Ali. Hello. A special guest, Carolyn from the C-Dub Show. Hello. And special guest, Amelia. Hi. And okay, so first rant is the air conditioning. So this new part, well, it's not new, I've been here six months. I've been here six months, y'all, that's ridiculous. Um, this, this current apartment has an air conditioner that when you say off, it thinks... It decides it wants to take you five, take five minutes to turn off. I don't know if it's like a, um, like if the Flintstones, like a little bird got to fly through my walls to turn off the air conditioning switch and then fly back. I don't know what's going <laughs> on, but I would strongly appreciate if when I say shit turns off, Y'all it turns funny. off. I mean, but Brandon, you've never had to edit out but like my heater during the C Dub show because sometimes we record so damn long. I'm like, I can't take it, y'all. I got to turn the heater on. I, I, and I, the show do make a lot of. Noise. I run a, a like a noise removal on all the podcasts, so they probably won't ever hear the hear the air conditioning or the okay, heater. Okay, good. But 
I still like. You know what? You know what people. You, know what you, you just do. delivered me. Oh, I feel delivered. Like I've been touched by Jesus. That means I can leave my heater on. No, that all. That, that means <laughs> you can minim, minimize, minimize. Oh, okay. Minimize. You know what we should do? We should we should because because it'll mess with your sounds. voice. Like it'll take it out, but it'll take certain parts of the inflection of your voice out. And the more the heavier the noise reduction has to work, the more you sound like a robot. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, so kind of like kind of like when people put um um over Auto-tune. music. What's that? What's Auto tune. Yeah, Auto-tune. something like that. Something like that. Uh, I see. Maybe a little bit less feeling <laughs> Auto tune. Yes, that's that's rant number one. Uh, rant number two. <laughs> so, as sort of kind of a creative decision, we stopped doing politics on this show. Mostly Woo-hoo. because mostly because like. It caused me like <laughs> stress uh, because I can't. I it's hard. Like I I do stay, you know, like politically, like at least you know, like informed and stuff and everything. And I have, you know, particular, you know, like progressive and you know left leaning stances on things because you know I'm black, I'm gay, so shit happens to me that I don't want it to happen to me, and I want people to make sure. Now I'm paying my fucking taxes and shit. The people who are getting my tax money are not doing shit to me. Take my money and and say, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, you nigga, you're homosexual, etc. So forth. Um, so I like I like how he says it with a country accent. Oh yes. <laughs> and so, like, you know, for the midterms, like I only thing we really did for the midterms as far as this show was that like I retweeted some, like, on all social media on purpose, I put out some stuff about take your ass and vote, the little uh, Jennifer Lewis thing, you know, the take mother of Black Hollywood. Yes. Take your ass out and vote. Take your ass out and vote. And I meant that shit. Take your ass out and vote if you pay your fucking taxes. If you're taking your fucking money, why don't you tell them what to do with your money? Because it's, it's yeah. not just about, like, you know, people like, Wow. I, don't like, I don't like any of the candidates. No, this was a, I don't like them either. You pick the one that you that you that you dislike the least. That's what. That's actually the most straightforward. Yeah, because that's that, so very straightforward, though. Like the way you say it, like it's like they're taking your money. Why don't you tell them? Why don't yeah. you try to dictate what they do with said money? Because listen, as bad as you know, you suppose that Democratic candidate is the Republican candidate. Generally speaking, is generally going to be worse. So it's like, do you want to get like? You, like one toe cut off or the whole foot. Right. You know, not that it's ideal, but what's gonna happen on the I other? I mean, it could be the way that this GOP going, Charlie. That could be your next decision. Yep. You they, taking your fingers or your toes? Which one you take? Some all right, Kunza Kente Toby mess. They're acting no fool over there. And, and, and so, oh, like man. watching people, like the election returns, and watching people in Florida and Texas in particular vote for a a dim a. Um, a governor and a senator, respectively, who ran on a campaign of nothing but racism. Uh, yes. Ron DeSantos and Ted Cruz. It 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 basically I basically it basically flipped me out. Like I spent the re- last part of the week. You know, if you're not my Facebook friend, you probably uh, you didn't see. I was like, like fuck people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, last week was a dark week for you. Yeah, I went through it because it's like I can't. I can't comprehend that thing because it's like, and it, like, because you know, you go to work and you see the white folks at work and you have to smile and everything and everything and stuff. And they want to you know, give you food and stuff. And you know, they could brought from home and all this kind of stuff. And you know, they want to ask you about what you do in your And I, I always don't like talking about the shit because I don't know if these people are homophobic. They might be racist. Mm-hmm. So I always try to minimize what I say about me and my life and everything at work. 
But it's like, some of y'all really did go and vote for, and for Kemp. Because Kendrick showed me after we recorded the show last week, he showed me, because I hadn't seen any ads, because what would I do that for? What would I watch Kemp ads for? I don't watch, I don't watch anything he advertised, I don't think. Well, uh, I was in the barbershop, I did see the one with his daughters. But he showed me the one that I'm so conservative at for um, Kemp, who was running for, and might actually end up being the governor of Georgia if this count don't come out the way that I needed to. And he basically had a commercial where he was shooting guns and blowing up shit, talking about he was going to get a truck and round up illegals and stuff. Yeah. I like, this man ran on, I, I ran on a campaign of, I'm racist, vote for me, and he is winning! And he, yeah. I mean, the only cat, the only thing that's different now is that we are at least finally in a climate where people talk about how they don't want to vote, but we're finally in a climate where we are actually now waiting for all the votes to be counted. Yes. You know, it used to be where once once NBC called it, that was it. And then the person would see it on TV and that was it. Like right now here in Richmond, like it is a lot of these races have flip-flopped several times. People that were called as like, you know, number two or number one in their campaigns, well, they're still counting. They still got 10,000, 100,000, however many votes to go. And they're actually counting all the way up to certification day. So I think that's one thing that Stacey Abrams has changed. I'm not going to count Andrew Gillen because to me, huh, he's nice. But the fact that he let someone make him concede and have to take back his concession, that's kind of weak leadership to me. But mm. that's just me. But, we, you know, it used to not be like that. So at least we are now, We you don't really have that argument anymore that my vote doesn't count. We right. know now that we're taking the full two months to count that votes aren't certified till December 5th or 8th or something. I don't know. Yeah. But we're taking the full month to now count all the votes. The, the voting margin in some of these races is in human countable numbers. Like, yes. like the number of papers you could have on your desk on a regular day at work. That's the yes. difference. Like, yes. your vote has always counted, and this illustrates just how much it does count. Like, some of shit could tip one way or the other. Cause, the other. And the funny thing is about Kemp, if he becomes governor, he just, won't just be bad for, for Black people and brown people, but he might fuck with the whole, like, industry for this show, like, the entertainment industry. You know, like, I don't know how he feels about the fact that all these shows shoot here and stuff. He might be mm-hmm. trying to, he might be running up some shit. Like, I think he ran up some shit about bringing back agriculture and stuff. He might try to fuck with that, you know? All the Marvel movies that shoot in that shoot in um Southwest Atlanta could be gone. And you know all the, look, all these reality shows, all of them, they yeah. all shoot in Atlanta. Gone. Every, every mid-budget comedy you see in the theater shoots here now. They be shooting. Yeah. Like Ali will tell you, because he he works in downtown. They shoot so many movies here. Movies you ain't even think shot here. The Three Stooges, um, Identity Thief, uh Shaft. What was it Shaft Three? This is what when it come yeah, out. Yeah, just 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 Friday they were shooting right down the street on from my job again. Black Lightning yeah. shoots here. Doom yep. Patrol's shooting here now. Wow! All um, of all of the all of um some of the um of the old networks new shows are shooting their pilots here now. Yeah, because because I remember Nathan Deal, who was the current governor, he almost fucked up trying to pass that um whatever that thing about gay people can't adopt. And Disney said, oh, pass it if you, sign it if you want. <laughs> and we, we out of here. Right. Try, try and me. And that's really what it takes for the large studios. Uh, they, that's one thing. Even though he might threaten to mess with the movie industry, he once it gets to Disney and Marvel, all of them, unfortunately, they still got that, you know, that white vote, that white money vote. They'll, they'll never really fuck with that. Right. Yeah. So they that, might fuck with us, though. That was the second people. part of the rant. 
And well, just to let all the listeners know, if, you know, Brandon don't want to talk too much about politics, but you can always that's come to the C-Dub, the C-Dub show and, and listen to us talk about uh, white supremacy and saving us the world from white people. Yes, we'll that the C-Dub show comes out every week. You know, usually towards the <laughs> towards the end of the week. You know, whenever I, um, you know, between editing shows, you know, after work, it's not during work because you know not we don't do- want the problems. <laughs> um, but yeah, please check them out. They do cover politics. They cover. You know, current events and pop culture stuff, you know, sort of kind of that's why we have those shows to balance out. We might hope we are. I've been talking to people about adding a third show to the network. We'll see if it happens. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying there's more than that, but I'm hoping that it does. And so, mm-hmm. you know, like expanding that sort of stuff. Like, if you want to talk to me about politics stuff, um, you have to be my Facebook friend. If I don't know you in person, I may not add you just so I <laughs> know about that. Because if you come to my thing, talking about, well, you know, I don't really vote. No, block. Sorry, gone. Um, you know all that kind of stuff, like all that Kanye West shit about you know all that kind of stuff. You know it never hurt, helped black people anyway. It's ahistorical. Number one, number two, fuck you, blocked. Um, so yeah. All right, and so I think I said I had a third one, but I don't think I actually have a third one. Let's talk about shit we watch. Let's talk about happy shit. Um, <laughs> so, I'm severely uncomfortable right now. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, because you probably never heard. I'm so sorry. You probably never heard. No, no, Brandon, I'm I'm uncomfortable because I didn't, and it's entirely my own fault. And it's not the like the dismissiveness of it. You didn't. You, you didn't know, take time out to vote. You didn't no, take it's, here's out. the thing. Here's the thing. You know me. You know how extremely ADHD I am. We right. moved, and I forgot. You forgot to, to file your move. My ID. Oh crap! So like a lot of stuff happened, and then voting came around, what, and I what, was what, here's, like, "Here's the thing. Even in quote unquote off years, they still have elections for local stuff. Like next year, this time there'll be an election. There might be a special election for the runoff for the governor. So get your shit changed now." I would strongly suggest go to the go to the DMV, mm-hmm. get your shit changed, and whenever they say it's a vote, show up. Sometimes they are talking about a runoff. Yeah. In, uh, in Atlanta, especially with, especially because I don't know how true they are, but they keep sharing these articles talking about people keep finding yeah. provisional ballots. Yeah, provisional. Yeah, because they, they usually don't count them because they usually they um results come in within a certain margin. They decide not to count them. Now that the mm-hmm. results are within a certain margin, they're pulling they're pulling open the envelopes. And they keep finding them because they sometimes these counties cop <coughs> um they just don't Put send the shit down. Because where the fuck did a teacher find some ballots? I wish I would open up one of my drawers at school one day and just find some ballots. <laughs> it's like Scooby Doo. Like, this cabinet's full of ballots. <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? What do I do with these ballots? But yeah, oh my God. everybody, please, please vote. But yeah, it's all about happy shit. So let's talk about... It isn't there... Guys, just one more thing. Um, if you go to a polling station and for whatever reason, your information has changed, I think there's something that you can That's actually... That's what a provisional ballot is for. Yeah. Like, so so just in case, yeah. you know, if that ever happens to you, you can you can still try to invoke you, you that. Put your provisional ballot in, then you got to go change your stuff at the DMV and everything like that. Get your ass out, out and, and vote. vote. Yes. I don't care who you are or where you've been. Get your ass out and vote. Oh, yeah. So, all right. So first, The Flash. I caught up with The Flash, uh, finally. So that means I watched... I am um, one episode behind. All right. So you didn't have a watch News Flash yet. But we're going to talk about it anyway, so it would be mouse Wait, photos. Wait, the one but, about the headlines or whatever? Yeah, that, yeah, that's the last episode. They I saw bits, so yeah. I know enough. Yeah, they didn't air one during election night, so... But, like... Yeah. So, I mean, I want to talk about it for a bunch of reasons. First of all, the season's been really good so far. 
It had. Like, they've done a really good job of, like, trying to make freshness show up from, like, the stagnated omnis it was in. Um, I know some people, <laughs> I won't say any names, don't like the fact that uh, Joe's um, girlfriend, Cecile, is a series regular now, but I love Cecile. Danielle Nicolette has not aged. She was on Family Matters <laughs> as um, yeah. as Steve Urkel, yeah, as the no, girl that... Steve Urkel was tutoring that one time. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that and I got so happy. <laughs> And it's like, I, I love having on shows. The show, now that she's on it, they're kept, I, I guess when Keenan was on it too, but no, because no, they replaced Keenan with um, uh, Jessica Parker Kennedy because she plays Excess, the um, daughter from the future. And they yeah. added Dan Nicolette. So they're majority POC cast now. And yeah. also, I just want to <laughs> say for uh, Parker Kennedy, here's the thing. You ever have one of the, like a character in a show or something that is an actor, or you have that actor whose name you can't remember, but every time you see them, you get hype. Yeah. Parker Kennedy's one of those for me. Vanessa Morgan, uh, who plays Tony Topaz yeah. on Riverdale. Please don't take a visit to Amelia, but Excess uh, reminds me of you. No, exactly. I love him. He's me. It's great. <laughs> no, I am excess. Like, I, I, I genuinely am like, I want her jacket. Like, it's crazy. So here's the thing. Um, Vanessa Morgan, who plays Tony Topaz on Riverdale. Um, Riverdale. Malice Zhao, who was on um, Vampire Diaries and uh, Shannara Chronicles. She was the Asian chick, if y'all watched Vampire Diaries. Um, those two and Jessica Par- Parker Kennedy are three actresses who I grew up, like, as a kid, I saw them in stuff. Like, they'd make a cameo on a Disney show. They'd get, like, a season on a CW show. They'd get a movie being the sidekick to like a Selena Gomez, like Jessica Parker Kennedy did um, another Cinderella story. The the one with Selena's a dancer and and uh, Jessica Lynch or uh, Jamie Lynch is like her evil stepmom and Drew Seeley is the pop star love interest Prince guy. Like all three, like, so she's part of that trio of unappreciated actresses that I have in my mind that the minute I see them in a project, I don't care what I think about that project. I watch that project because I'm like, I want you to get the ratings. I want you to get your money. Like, I need them to book you for more stuff because I love you. Like, I had no interest in that that MTV show from like five years ago about uh, a kidnapper kidnapping a baby and like raising her or whatever. But Vanessa Morgan was in the cast, so I watched it. So the fact that Parker Kennedy went from random random cameos last season that I knew had to lead to something to being Iris and Flash's daughter. I was like, yes. Right. This so is what I've been I'm waiting for. I'm probably explaining to Carolyn because I'm... Carolyn, have you ever watched The Flash? Never. Are only, you familiar with the character? Only, the only superhero show I watch is uh, Black Lightning. Black Lightning. <laughs> we'll get to that next. Um, I need to I need to watch this the new season. I'm waiting on the mid-finale so that it'll come on Netflix. Negroes always season. waiting to watch the new season. They sit there with a big, big lips. I own the first season on Google Play. Don't try me. I was just doing about Tobias. Ever in your life. (laughs) I was just doing about Tobias for a person. But yeah, so, Carolyn, the Flash is a a superhero whose speed and powers, he can run really fast. Like, really fast. He can break the sound barrier, the speed of light. He can time travel, basically. Like he he was a, he was a um, CSI who got struck by light and all his chemicals and everything at the same time, and so he acquired those abilities from that. Uh, in the show, he grew up with um, his because basically, like the plot is that one of his arch enemies from the future came back to the past to try to kill him, but it he ended up killing his mother instead, 
And so his father was blamed for the murder, and he went to go live with his father's best friend, who was a cop named Joe West, who is played by Jesse L. Martin. You know Jesse Martin. Yes. Wait, wait, Brandon. Can I can I correct something? What? The fa- the dads weren't best friends. Iris and um Iris and Barry. Iris were and Barry were best friends. Already. Already. I, I thought that yeah, the, parents the dads were best friends didn't too. know each other. Okay. No. Okay. You Joe says it in the show when he realizes whose family it is. They're like, "What do you know these people?" And he's like, "Ah, oh, my bo- my daughter's best friends with their son." Yeah, yeah. So he and goes the, to live, and then they're like, "Well, we just found the kid." So yeah, so he goes to yeah. live with the, um, Joe West and his daughter Iris, and so they grow basically. They um, and when they get older, Iris is off dating other people, but Barry is in love still with Iris and everything. And he gets his powers, and eventually, you know, Barry and Iris fall in love and get married. And because Iris is played by Candace Patton, and Candace Patton is black. The, um, this poor lady has dealt with trolls her entire career on this program on Twitter oh, talking about God. Um, we, we wish that he was, he was with the white girl instead we don't like you why are you black uh, is that a kind of stuff and last time she, they did it she's like my check's still cleared though <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and, so, and also they've brought in so many good actors because of it the guy who plays Joe West is amazing oh yeah um, uh, Keenan who does Wally West is amazing yeah Keenan Lonsdale get... play, played their, um, their uh, her brother Wally West did you watch Love, Simon, Carolyn or did you hear about it? No. Yeah. Oh, I heard about it, and I think I put it in my my list somewhere. Is that on Netflix? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think I don't know if it's on Netflix yet. But Keenan, I don't think Ke- it's on Netflix. But Keenan, yet. Keenan is be. in there, and um, basically, like I won't, I can't say no more about Keenan because that'll spoil the yeah. fuck out of Love Simon. Yeah. So yeah, just, don't tell me. Yeah, but watch the movie. It was, I meant, <laughs> wherever it was, I meant to watch. Yeah, it. watch the movie, and then after you see it, go to his Instagram and just do a like, historical like read through his oh, Instagram. Start yeah. in like January 2018. Make me mad? I got no, so it won't make you mad. It won't make you mad. You'll just see an evolution. That's the same. He's great. He's great. I got so much. Look, I got so much Brandon, stuff these days is making me troll. mad that I don't need nothing else to make Here's me. Here's the thing. If we tell you, if we tell you even one detail about Keenan as a person, it spoils the movie. Yes, it does. Like, we cannot tell you anything. Then don't tell me. Otherwise, we would. But literally, Brandon, like the minute Brandon brought up Love Simon, I was like, wait, if he says even one detail about the actor, she's gonna guess the whole movie. Right. Like, it's, it's, no. Lord Jesus. But yeah, but that brings me back to the Flash, though. So this season, you know, like. Um, Barry and Iris's daughter Nora has come back from the future, um, to because because she because her dad disappeared like before she was sort of kind of of age, and so she wants to come back to the past when he was younger and sort of kind of get to know him and everything. And so they're on this case in this episode where there's a supervillain who has a basically like a for lack of a better term a magic phone that where she can type in a headline. Put it on like a screen. And she's it, Fox and it News. Happens. Yeah, she's Fox News, and it happens. And so she's causing all kinds Fly, of happening shit. Off. <laughs> she's causing all kinds of happening shit. And so they put a sting operation. They send Nora in, like, to the coffee shop to be like to try to to see like if she had like where her powers come from with this little device she's gonna like, check them with. And she gets in there and stumbles and sort of kind of stutters and stuff. And and like and, and just like. Oh, I, I love your I love your articles. I love your blog and everything. What's so good to have a fan space? as cute as you. And Barry's in the in like like the little van listening in on like the the wiretap. Like, what's going on? Why is she hesitating? Iris is like that woman's in there flirting with my daughter. I'll be right back. And then Barry sort of kind of looks back and forth, and he's like. Oh, <laughs> yeah! Barry has that like realization moment yeah. and, of like, my daughter's gay. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and I love that they don't do the whole like 
like the they don't do the whole. It doesn't become a thing. That's what I love about these um these CWDC shows that when they do bring in their LGBTQ characters, they make it a thing without making it a dramatic thing. Yeah, because like yeah. Arrow had Arrows had gay characters on there, yeah. and like they didn't they they were just, they just addressed it like yeah she's gay okay yeah. moving on they treat them the like regular people like up, like Sarah Lance on Legends of Tomorrow she sleeps with she, she they time travel she, she slept with the woman in every time period that man has existed in yep. <laughs> she's a rolling she's a rolling stone for the centuries yes she is she really is and they don't do it like. It's not a tragic love story. There was a love angle of it one time with like a manipulated nurse in a fucked up in a fucked up hospital. And other than that, it's just been that girl. That girl's a player. Like, oh yeah, she it. is. She just gets down. But yeah, I really appreciate the flash. Speaking of legends, I watched the, like the last two episodes of their, of their last season, their season three mm. um, finale, basically, because somebody shared the um, the video of the final fight of of season three, of Legends of Tomorrow. Ali, you watched it too. I haven't seen it. Right, so basically, like, um, they're like they are trying to stop this time demon that's going to destroy like all of time on Earth, basically, and they have to like um, bring bring together their like these um, power totems and create like a, a champion to fight for them and like to take on a form. Oh, so kind of like Ghostbusters Part One, and for some reason, they're like think of something magical and pure. And they somehow decide that they have they're gonna create a, like a twenty foot tall, a fifty foot tall version of Bebo, a talking cute um, toy from the eighties. Think think Gizmo but blue, Gizmo from Gremlins but blue. And so this <laughs> evil demons out there like and and being fought and sort of kind of body slammed by this big gigantic cute cuddly fluffy thing, and it's like <laughs> Bebo. No, I am Gibbon. I love you. Bam, body slam, elbow, people's elbow, and then he stands up and does like the little thing, like the little karate thing with the with the come, the come here hand. I cried. <laughs> <laughs> that show gives zero fucks. <laughs> That's hilarious. That shit entertained the fuck out of me. Um, and then of course, Black Lightning. I haven't seen the most recent episode, but y'all can talk about it if, you, if you want to. Like, Black I, Lightning is back. Oh no! They didn't air Ooh. this week. They aired. They, they're like a. They they took a week off. Wait, but Brandon, you ain't told me nothing. I was about to. Ask. It, it's fall. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, they, Carolyn, have you not known that Black Lightning has been back for the entirety of this fall yet? No. Well, <gasps> I've been oh, over here no. struggling. One day, well, all I had to watch was Greenleaf <laughs> and and, and uh, Grey's Anatomy and Married to Medicine. And y'all mean to Brandon. tell me that Black Lightning been back this whole time? I've, I've, yeah, I've, you have failed Carolyn. I failed Carolyn. I'm yeah. sorry. Black Lightning airs every uh, Tuesday it. night at 9 p.m. on the CW. That's because oh, I've been over on Tuesdays over on OWN watching the Have and the Have Nights. Damn it, Brandon! Bro, uh, the CW app will show you the episodes for free. You just have oh, to make I think sure I, downloaded, I think, wait, I think <laughs> I deleted that when it last season ended. But still, you could have talked. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I should have been posting more about it. But I was watching mm-hmm. it. I, I, well, Ali um, uh, podcast Black Lightning over at the TV Movie Mistress podcast. I Wait, sure which, what? I don't know about this podcast. Wait, y'all just y'all don't love me no more, and it hurts my <laughs> no, feelings. No, we do. So, TV Movie Mistress is hosted by Emoji. She's been on our show a couple times. Y'all might, I think, y'all were on the the uh, Black Panther show t- at simultaneously. But yeah, oh, okay. so she has a podcast of her own, and Ali 
covers with her um, Black Light, and they do it every two episodes, I think, right? Yep, every two episodes. Yeah. Wait, I think I think that she was going to be on a C-Dub show at some point. I think it's the same person we're talking about. It might emoji? Yes. Yes. Okay. But yeah, so Black Knight has been back this season. I forgive basically. you, Ali. I don't forgive Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> I, talked to Brand- I talked to Brandon way too much to not have known that this was happening. I'm very so. sorry. I apologize. But like, so this season basically like... um. I, uh, without getting into big gigantic spoilers, um, the, yeah, bo- please, the board, uh, the school board makes um, Jefferson Pierce um, resign from being prep principal, but he's still a teacher at the at the high school, and they bring in a white man to replace him. Uh, yeah, they they kind of we they kind of told us they were going to do that. Yes, yeah. Uh, Robert Townsend plays the black man on the school board who comes to try to um, talk Jefferson through all this stuff, and like and. Um, he, and Jefferson t- jokes about how he's the um, Negro translator for the white people. And he said, you better be careful now. Sounds like you almost called me a house nigga. And I, I looked around. <laughs> I, 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 I thought I had, I thought I had gone deaf. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> I, I said, I the accused are wilded. They say a house nigga. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I said, there's no way I heard what I think I just heard from the CW. Right. <laughs> So, but yeah, so let me go online. Has, let me go well. online and find out if that's really true. And lo and behold, Twitter went. Um, <laughs> yes, they've been acting this? the fool. So Robert Townsend's a guest star this season. Um, Bill Duke is a guest star. He's sort of kind of like the government agent who's in charge of like the whole green light conspiracy thing. And Lynn has to deal with him to try to get some answers to try to investigate why these children were taken away when they had developed these powers 30 years ago. Some of the kids are breaking out of these tubes and going out and causing havoc, and Blackline has to fight them and stuff. Of course. Um, and then, of course, um, Khalil, painkiller, is out here still struggling if he's going to be good or bad, you know, working with Tobias. Uh, oh, it's a struggle now? It's a struggle now. Because he's still like... He's still, he's, last season. Because he still likes Jennifer. As as he, uh, okay. That's no, why it's because, I mean, end of last season, he went full F that girl and was like, all right, yeah. I'm just going to be bad and, like, just jack stuff up. I'm going to get this. Well, the question get this. is, is, are they going to bring Jill Spot back in, in flashbacks or the afterlife? I don't know. Um, they yeah, might. But, but really they did. The they, they brought in Erica Alexander because oh, okay. Jennifer, um, her powers are manifesting and she doesn't know how to control them yet. So they, uh, they hired Erica Alexander, who is a superhuman Psychiatrist, where she has a power where she can touch you and bring you to like a like a calming place and stuff, and sit down and talk to you through your issues. And so she's been on there trying to help Jennifer with her powers, basically this season. Maxine Shaw giving advice. Yes, she is. <laughs> it's Maxine Shaw therapy. So it's been really good. And if you were wondering, she looks every bit as amazing yes. as she did yeah. before. Oh, and Thunder is running around here. First of all, Thun- Thun- Thunder is a fuckboy. That's been established. What? Oh, she, yeah, she's been out here playing these girls, hasn't she? Yeah, I mean, she, she, got, well, she I gave mean, us that vibe lesbian, last season, but, though. Lesbian fuckboys are real. <laughs> and that is all. Yeah, they are. Like, I love the... Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this meme... It was a well. It was like a Twitter that went viral that said, "Thank you, Tegan and Sarah, for for uh, teaching all straight women that lesbi that lesbians can be on the same bullshit that men can be on." <laughs> wow. <laughs> and like, I like that they have a character now that's like, "Oh no, I'm a player. I'm just a player 
with vagina. Because <laughs> well, they, they already had that. They had his, her name was Shane McCutcheon. Mm. I'm sorry, Ali and Brandon. That's Shane from the L word. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I was sitting here looking like, uh, looking like, like uh, swaggy P, like, so huh? foreign to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not crazy though. Like I've never heard so I've never heard Brandon go completely silent on any pop culture fact. That's when that I wanted to clear some stuff up. That quietness that was, was pregnant. That was almost as that was almost as like quiet and clearly doesn't know as when we start talking about like my hero or something. Yes. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're so, like, yo, Midoriya is basically Captain America mixed with Superman. And Brandon's like, um, I don't know what a Midoriya is, but it feels like it needs <laughs> Yeah, so like, so uh, the Flash, Black Lightning, I'm saving Riverdale for the Breakfast Club conversation because Riverdale's episode is basically a big, gigantic homage to the Breakfast Club, which is why I watched it for the first time. Y'all can read me in that If section. they don't dance on a bookshelf, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> Uh, if they dance on a bookshelf, I'm going to admit that watching. I am only on this show solely to ask Brandon, how the hell you ain't never seen a Breakfast Club before? Yeah, I'll answer that in that segment. I have, okay. a, I have a full, I have a full fledged answer. Okay. Um, so, but I did. Does, um, that, does that mean that I can get yelled at for not liking that movie? <laughs> it, it, we'll save that for the um, for that for that segment too. Um, <laughs> I, I, I saw episode five of Titans. Titans is, is still. Is, I still like it. I know a lot of folks don't. Ali, Every I, YouTube I, clip I see pisses me off. Wait, so <laughs> you have to watch it first of all. Like, are you familiar with DC Elseworlds comics? No, but I'm familiar with the fact that Raven's power has nothing to do with. Wait, wait, no, 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 these alternate takes on them. They often they did like very dark stuff. Like Kingdom Come, the most famous one of those, where you know Superman's old, the world's going to hell, and he has to fight a hypnotized Shazam and everything like that. People like that one. A lot of other ones people have big seals about Batman: The Killing Joke, where the Joker cripples um, Barbara Gordon. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, I don't like that one at all. Because she became Oracle. Yeah, the, the Dark Knight um, Rises, whatever it's called, the Freight Miller one. I don't like any of them things. That's the basis for um, Batman versus Superman. That's where that came from. So Titans is basically an Elseworlds version of not just the Teen Titans, but the DC Universe in general, because they, they pull a lot of deep cuts. We've gotten Hawk and Dove on the episode. I saw that. We have the nuclear family as the villains of this first half of the season. Basically, like these androids who um, who um, her program to go and people up, but they have the look of like a typical fifties white Eisenhower era family, like a mom and dad, sister, brother, and a dog. This this is pissing me off more because I understand Elseworld. I understand that it's unique and interesting. I understand that the CW is doing it for the big crossover this year. Yes. However, no. If you're going <laughs> to do live-action Titans for the first time ever, do a live-action Titans. And also, and honestly, this show lost me the minute they cast a tragic, looks like she's 11 and is a ca- apparently younger than everyone, tragic white woman with like American horror story style magic looking stuff instead of actual Raven's magical power looking stuff. Like, no, where's the red eyes? Where's Trigon? Why is she white and not Latina? Is I, she I had... Latina? Yeah, Raven's a Latin woman. Oh, I didn't even know that. Raven is Latin, y'all. Like a, a lot of people don't talk about it, but Raven is one hundred percent Latina. If you see well, any depiction well, of her, is she like half demon? 
What is, well, she is, but like the human part of her, the part okay. that takes like her Because here's the thing. Her skin has always been a nice tannish color. The only times it looks... That, okay, not I, I, always. Sorry, I, like, I, I looked at like the old comics and she looked like a regular white woman in the old comics. But, but like, obviously... There are a lot of comics that are old where her skin is like an almost bronze color. And then there are newer ones where she's like pale, but still very clearly Latina. And like, I just... More than anything, I just don't like the idea that, like, Dick Grayson, who's my favorite DC character ever created, is this edgy detective who looks like he belongs in high school, but somehow he's a cop and he's, like, got a place and he's taking care of this girl. And it's it 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 looks so much like a failed, like, Dick Grayson becomes a dad or, like, training his new sidekick. I don't know what they're doing, but it just doesn't seem right. He's got to be edgy and angry. Like, nah, I'm good on all of that. And and I hate that they've turned literally one of the coolest, most, like, dominant, not the only character in DC who I've ever, or one of the few, who's never been tragic. Like, Raven's only been tragic within herself and her father. She's never been, like, I can't handle the world. That's never been her thing. But the Raven that I've seen in the clips from this show doesn't seem like she can deal with anything ever at all. And it pisses me off because that's never been her character. But I doing haven't that, read enough of the old comics to to challenge that, but I would I would raise a question mark on that because I feel like I feel like somebody's written at least one or two story arcs about Raven. One or two versus the hundreds where that wasn't the case. (laughs) You can pick one apple out of the bunch, but I mean, if the the majority over the minority in this situation, it's like it's this makes me just as mad as the fact that in the old Justice League Ultimate cartoon, the Flash was Wally West instead of Barry Allen, and even though even though Wally West is a scientist too, they made Wally stupid so that he could be the comic relief and not make Batman look bad. Well, at the time, Barry Allen didn't exist when they made that cartoon. Barry Allen, that but, cartoon is from my childhood. Yeah, Barry yeah, Allen yeah. No, Barry Allen, didn't, Barry Allen died in 1985 in the Chrysler Infinite Earths, and he was gone until, it had to be 04 or 05 when they published the, um, the Flash Rebirth. Really? Yeah, yeah, he was gone. It was just Wally West during the, and, uh, and uh, Bart Allen during that period. Well, I still rephrase, Wally West was a scientist and intelligent, and in that show, they made him stupid. Right. <laughs> it's, they made him the dumbest character. And I'm like, are you kidding? He's one of the only people with a PhD in something related to science. Why are you making him stupid? And then I realized, oh, because these plots are really easy to figure out. And if Batman isn't the one figuring it out every time, you've done a disservice because Batman's obviously Batman to has to be everything. Right. So, <laughs> so Ali watched episode five with me and he had a very different take on episode five. So Ali, why don't you tell us how you felt about Titans? Um, be honest too. For the most part, oh, well, don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> For the most part, um, it's I was bored. For the most part, and being honest <laughs> makes sense. Um, I I am fully I'm fully aware after watching that episode that um, I have not seen episodes one through four. Um, and I'm fully aware that this this show might not be for me. Um, I I'm 
I like to take my perspective from the person who doesn't read comics, who just enjoys the the TV and movie media of all mm. these, um, you know geek things. So I always um, I like the the fact that my perspective is: Does this just make a good show? Period. 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 Right. I'm not looking back into the past and being like, well, you know, how does this how does this um, you know pull from source material? I'm just wanting to see a good show, and it it just it feels like um, Starfire and Robin are on a different show than Garf and Raven, and every time, every time they switch over, I have to do like a mental like sort of switcheroo to sort of get in the mood for the the, the next show. the The episode that um, Brandon and I saw were the episode that introduced um, a new cast of characters, which is basically going to be their introduction into for the next um, show that they're that they're going to put on DC. Streaming, what, what's that called, Brandon? What's that new team called? DC Universe. No, what, did I show no, you the, the Doom Patrol team. episode? Is that one we watched? That is the Doom yeah, Patrol Yeah, oh episode. God, I thought you were talking about Yeah, Doom Patrol. So you watched Doom Patrol episode, yes. Yeah, so I saw the Doom Patrol episode. The Doom and... Patrol are very like like deep cut DC characters. So if you don't know them, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I said, them. I never... I, like I said, I never, I, I'm not going off of, well, you know, does this match my, you know, my take on Doom Show or whatever. I'm just looking to see if this is a good episode. And it kind of, it was kind of just mad to me. I think the biggest um, thing really is just that I, I just don't, I just didn't care so much. Um, I, I felt something towards the end of that episode when Raven and um, when Raven and uh, Robin are talking to each other, and honestly, I have a feeling that probably the Raven um, Robin um, scenes are probably the strongest on this show. I have a I have a feeling that um, they're probably going to focus on that a lot, just because he's the one who's like tracking her, and and like he, eventually he might just become like something of a. He wants to be a, a mentor to her, a better mentor yeah. than Batman was to him. It's sort of kind of what the goal. Like, right. The so like. I have a feeling that they're going to put a lot of weight on that relationship. Um, That's you know, definitely what, enough, they're, what they're doing. Yeah. Right. Because I haven't they, seen they enough also, of Starfire to be able to judge anything. Because also, because um, um, I know because y'all aren't watching, they introduced Jason Todd at the end of episode five because he's the new uh, Okay. Yeah. So they haven't, so I haven't seen enough of Starfire to actually be able to judge anything. Um, I don't like Garfield's character at all. It is, it is, it is way, he's, he's in the wrong show, basically. Also, the animation on his animal transformations is terrible. Oh my God. And it's crazy because, because I, and I really wonder what kind of budget they have because I remember the first episode of Flash on CW. Uh-huh. Um, because when, when Barry did the whole, um, he did, I remember distinctly that in the, the climax of that first episode, he made a tornado. Yeah. And I, my jaw dropped. I was like, how, how in the world does this look like this? This is, a, this is really, really, really good for TV. Right? And that was how many years ago? Four. <laughs> really? And, we're here now, and you mean to tell me that you animate you animate somebody turning into a, a a tiger, a Bengal tiger, and the tiger looks like it's a person in a tiger suit walking. I thought, even though it's all CGI. Like, like, like I said, like I said, we were watching it. I think that was what they were going for in the first place because he's not really a tiger; he's a Beast Boy. 
Yeah, except Beast Boy does actually turn into the animals. He's into an actual. Yeah, he doesn't turn into. He's he doesn't turn into um um like a man tiger or anything. He turns into a actual tiger. There's only one way a tiger has to walk. It just it and it's not because it it feels like hmm this is the best way a tiger should walk and then all of a sudden all tigers walk that way. It's because of its anatomy. It just has to walk that way because that's just how it's (laughs) that's just how anatomy works. And it's like somebody didn't take the time off to be like hmm let me just look at Animal Planet and look at some tiger videos and it no they just was like I think a tiger walks like this let's just do that and it just looks really really bad and the stark difference between the environment around him and the actual you know, CGI character, it's just, it's too, it's too jarring and it just looks weird. So no, I just, I'm, I'm not feeling, so I wasn't feeling that particular episode. Who knows? There might be another episode that I watch and I'm just like, oh. Honestly, you did enjoy. So I also showed Ali an episode of Batman, The Brave and the Bold from 2011 (sighs) or 12. Yeah. Um, So the episode was The Malicious Mr. Mind. And it's about, uh, and of course, it guest stars the um, the Shazam family, um, Captain Marvel, Mary Marvel, and Captain Marvel Jr. And they're fighting the Monster Society of Evil, led by Dr. Savannah. And they, they get a new leader who shows up to take over the um, the thing because they're trying, they're trying to fight them and Batman. Batman gets hit by an age-versing ray and starts turning into a kid, you know, fitting for an episode about the Shazam kids. Um, yeah. And the Monster Society gets a new leader, and it's Mr. Mind. He's a whole introduction about how we need to stop the Marvel family using my powers of thought control. You this big, you know, authoritarian voice. And then it pans down. They have not yet seen the power of Mr. Mind. And Mr. Mind, for those who don't know, is a worm. A little teeny tiny two-inch caterpillar green with glasses on. And Ollie, <laughs> when, it, when the camera panned down, Ollie was like, yes. I love it. <laughs> I, he was, ha- <laughs> I was not ready. <laughs> because he showed up on screen and I was like, if you don't <laughs> if you don't stand for yourself, who else will? <laughs> and to, to his credit, I mean, like he used his powers of thought control and he made the um he made Billy, Mary, and Freddie fight themselves in superpowered form. They destroyed Fawcett City <laughs> and he just flew off. Every line of that character is gold. Every single one. <laughs> like he would sit there and he would monologue some shit, and I was like, "And him and Savannah were basically, were, were basically having Come a on. him and Savannah basically having like a a, a dick matching contest. Basically, like who's the big, the bigger bad guy? And Savannah was not having none of that shit. He was so angry. <laughs> and Savannah has the most comical lines he's, too. Yeah, he's the archetypical mad scientist. Have a face full of science, bat boop. That, that's that's who he is. <laughs> it's, it's just, and Ollie was like, just, Brandon, he has to talk like this in the movie. He has I, to listen. He has to do that. I'm I'm so I'm so serious. He needs to talk like that in the movie that's coming up in 2019 because. Because if you're gonna go campy like that, just go full camp. It's it's like they didn't even bother to like like translate it into like contemporary ways of talking. No, he talks like as if he was in on a comic from back in the day. Yeah, well, the whole just, Brave and the Bold kind of takes that turn. It feels yeah, very and the, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a very nostalgic sort of thing. So I was very appreciative of it. it everything was just perfect, Mister Mind. I don't know how. But I really want him to show up on a live action. <laughs> I don't know how you can do it, but I really, really want because 
he was just such he, a great introduction to a character. If he was a Marvel character, I would say they're definitely going to do it. I was watching, um, I was rewatching an honest trailer for Guardians One, and they were talking about how like Marvel had gotten so bold by then that they're like, "Oh, you like this? Well, here's a movie starring a talking tree and a talking raccoon." And I was like, "Yeah, Marvel would do a movie about a gi- about a tiny worm villain who's a genius. DC would probably be like, he's infected the mind, like he's crawled into the brain of this actor." Oh yeah. Well, I mean that's they part of like, that's that's part of his power. He does crawl into people's brains. No, no, they would no, they would they, they would make him be the the they would make the actor be the character. We wouldn't. We would yeah. see the worm at the end. Like, uh, we yeah, would exactly. see The worm like scurrying away. Maybe. Exactly. Like they wouldn't just let the worm be, and like that's kind of you know that's kind of the vibe. I would me, exactly, and that would be completely missing the point. I need to see that worm, and I need to see his glasses. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he would never have the glasses on because they, they DC has this thing. It's like it, DC, the DC EU is doing exactly. I used to refer to D, I used to refer to Marvel as the nerdy comic book, and DC is the dude bro comic book company. And the movies are a direct reflection of that, <laughs> where they're like, "Nah, man, we we can't be all bright and colorful and happy, man. We got to be like serious and like, you know, we're gonna try to be deep." And stuff. So if they have to ground everything in reality for some reason, like no, no, yeah. everything has to be in reality. I, I, I mean, no, you can just you can just be have fun, right? I mean, it, I guess like we talk about it right now. So I think they're trying to change that shit because you see Aquaman. Did you see like the the posters and shit that came out as they're getting close to the release of the movie? Um, yeah, but it still looks like a Michael Bay movie though. Like it still looks grounded. It looks like it. Lo- it's it looks like somebody walked up to Michael Bay and was like, "Hey, so you know how nobody wants you to make another Transformers movie? Yeah, we want you to make Aquaman." I'm not. It's obviously not a Michael Bay movie, but that's the tone I get from it. I do get that it might be underwritten, but they are definitely doing the comic book like looks at least, like the po- like the costumes and the bright colors on the water, all that kind of stuff. They're going for. That. I'm going to give it a pass because I feel like as if you have to crawl before you, you walk. <laughs> The shade uh, of it all. So, um, so, so they're they're building themselves up. Let's hope that let's let me give them the opportunity to so they can build up that momentum, because I really don't want them to go back to let's grow on everything in reality. Even though I yeah. do appreciate the Nolan movies, uh, at least the first two. I don't. Um, it was an interesting sort of a alternate universe for all these characters, right? Yeah. Obviously, this is not the Batman that is classic at all. You know, but they it was like a side quest. Like, what if it was like this? Right. And I was like, okay, I can appreciate you trying something different for now. That's cool. But now yeah. we're back to leave the rest of the characters to, fuck alone though. Yeah, let's, just, yeah let's go back to what it used to be. Let's try to have some some fun on these movies. And, and, so and I, if I you're gonna go it. dark, ha- have some balance to it or something like that. But like some of the shit, like perfect example, like when they're like um the whole Shazam thing, if like people were like um, you know, when they're mad, Black Adam was gonna be, and I was like, "Thank Jesus," because I don't need him in there switching heads in the first movie. Let let it be about Billy Bass and his foster siblings. Let it be about like kids having fun with superpowers. Let it be fun and goofy and bright. When all the shit came out, the pictures and everything, people were like, "Why is it so bright? Why does it look so cheesy and goofy?" It's supposed to. The nigga has dots for eyes. Is right. <laughs> and then also, uh, Carolyn. Yes. Uh, what have you been watching? Well. Because I apologize for all that nerdetry. As you as you listen to the probably listen to the last episode of C Dev Show, we talked about how we are going to do 
the trash TV episode oh, of no. the show. So we are going, well, except for Willis, who claims she's too high minded and she doesn't <laughs> watch those kind of shows. Whatever, she's lying. So <laughs> I've been watching Greenleaf and How to Get Away with Murder and um, Grey's Anatomy and Married to Medicine and the season premiere of Real Housewives of Atlanta and then Greenleaf Ooh. all over again. Oh. Who is even on Housewives uh, these, these 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 um these days now? You said what? Who's even on Housewives these days? This year's cast is well, it's only minus Kenya and Sheree, who they promptly gave her, uh, took her peach back after they gave it to her last season. Mm. So now it's Nene, uh, Nene, Cynthia, Candy, um, model. Uh, what's her face? Uh, Eva, Nene, Cynthia, Eva, Eva, who? Marcel. Yeah. Wow. Somebody. <laughs> oh yeah, she was on there last season. Like, she, was on, she was like on there half of last season. Who am I missing? Because there's there's at least five. The last girl show. Or did, I know the divorce, but he showed oh, up like Portia. Uh, like the and last Portia girl show. Do they have they have kids together? I know the divorce. But they have kids together. Her and Lance. Who? Girls? Eva. Yeah. She has a kid with the new guy, the one who ran for mayor of Atlanta. Oh. <laughs> she had. The, she actually was. She actually had the baby like straight from uh, last year's reunion. Caesar, what's his name? Oh, I don't know what the hell. Okay. <laughs> the most interesting shows right now to me are Greenleaf and How to Get Away with Murder. Greenleaf, because you know I'm a church kid, so mm-hmm. Greenleaf ain't nothing but the church version of Empire. And then they got <laughs> Patty LaBelle. Patty LaBelle is like the mega preacher, which is so funny to me. It's Patty hilarious. LaBelle is on Greenleaf floor. Mm-hmm. Patty LaBelle is like a mega, is like a mega, like she's like a, a woman version of um of um, Dollar. T- not Crevel Dollar, TDJ. Oh. Oh, oh wow. She's she's like the woman <laughs> T E Jakes and, and they she's trying to help May take down the, the bishop, but then the bishop and the son, they both are some compromising position because they've been secretly hoeing around with these. Well, claim they wasn't hoeing around with them, that they resisted the temptation, but you didn't resist it enough to not get no embezzlement scandal with the IRS. So <laughs> And then oh, they got then they got the daughter mm-hmm. who's in a big I mean the granddaughter's in an abusive relationship with little fake Elder Barge gospel singer. <laughs> So you got that. And then you got now Grayson found out that her daddy is really Tim Reed from WKRP in Cincinnati, but then he just died. Holy so, shit, they killed Tim Reed on the show. They killed Tim Reed off the show. They, the they, they, they killed all they killed they killed Ray. What's his name? Oh, sister sister. They, they killed him, child. He only was on one episode. Oh, and then, man. Now over on how to get away with murder, I'm more concerned with the fact that nobody is talking about this finance black lesbian lawyer who is also named like Tegan from Tegan and Sierra. I love her. I heard Schmurder. I heard Schmurder is fire this season. She yeah, it's just really, really good. Uh, Annalisa <laughs> went off in the courtroom and talking about the plight of being a black woman. It's it's really, really good. I, you know me. That was shift to hell and back on Tumblr. Oh yeah. My God. <laughs> she went off. It's one of the things where like where you go off and you know you about to be hell contempt, but that you, they put you up there to be kind of to contempt. Yeah, that was the whole point. So it's I'm really, gonna it's I'm gonna get pinged really, anyway, so I might as well just go all the way. And it, and what's so and another thing that's interesting about murder is that the the little boy who I'm trying to figure out if Lord, if they say that that's I guess that's supposed to be Bonnie's son. But remember last time I was on the show, we was talking about Medea, we was talking about how Tyler Perry is still the chitlin circuit of Black Hollywood. Mm-hmm. That's the little hoe boy from uh from Hands and Have Nights. He acts <laughs> so much. He acts so much better when Shonda Rhimes is writing his his uh, material, his script. Everybody acts better when they don't mm-hmm. have a Tyler Perry over them. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, when you when you can make Cicely Tyson look bad, then mm-hmm. you are really bad. But anyway, I love how to get it made. It's really, really good this season. I'll be honest, I can't really give a good analysis of it because I'm just really looking at the, the lesbian lawyer. Lord, I'm I wondering. And oh, and here's something interesting. Now I'm mm-hmm. trying to figure out. Michaela can't figure out if she liked the white boy, if she liked the lesbian lawyer, or if she liked the new black boy. She I, how Michaela turned figured- to the whole of the show. She'll figure it out after drama. <laughs> she gonna end up with the lesbian. Though. She has a full on lesbian crush on this, and I would too. I just would. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so right. I dropped off like a season um ago on Schmurder, but then I was talking to my cousin a couple of nights ago, and she was like, "You better get on that again." Yeah, <laughs> it kind of dropped off last season, and my, my other, but it is really, really good, especially not that they cl- uh, killed off you know Poglin Terman. He done died on both uh on, on both Queen Sugar and How to Get Away with Murder Now. He oh. just can't live. Or huh. all right, Ali, yeah. what have you been watching? So um I've been watching uh mostly just uh Black Lightning, um, which which is look at still... you Negroes, even the ones from over in the Caribbean watching Black Lightning yeah. sitting around with their <laughs> Kool-Aid and I, they I need for there to be some kind of an accident where where he he his his mouth gets like sewn shut. <laughs> oh, Tobias. Yes. Yeah. Because I swear to God, if I <laughs> I'm I'm getting a little a little bit um <laughs> triggered by the anti-blackness is strong. Yeah, it's it's very strong. Like it's like extra strength. <laughs> <laughs> you talking about Jackson? What, well, no, talk about um, Tobias Whale. Yeah, Tobias oh. Whale. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. The anti-blackness is is very, it's very strong. It's it's over nine thousand now, and I'm I'm starting to. <laughs> I, started to I uh. Mm. I I wrote a fanfic during during last season, where Tobias Whale was walking down the street talking about how bad black people are, and he ran into Killmonger. <laughs> you can imagine what happened. <laughs> oh, nothing but greatness. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, I rewatched Bla- uh, Black Panther over breakfast this morning. So <laughs> that's. Is this your king? Is this your king? <laughs> and, and, and I want to make sure Tobias is the one that. Uh... The, the, he's the, the albino. He's the, he's the yeah. one with albinism, basically. I mean, there's the a lot of reasons why anti-blackness is actually perfect for his character, and I just can't... Sometimes, it's... Yeah, it's yeah. perfect. I have a lot of respect for the rapper-turned-actor who plays Tobias, though, because he, like... Yeah, he went into that. He's a yeah, nice guy. he went into guy. that knowing... Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna have to play the saw him. I'm gonna have to play someone that's hated. I'm gonna have to play someone who's so anti-black. And he said, he was like, but... The sin- he said that the sentiment that the that Tobias shows in the show he's met or he's seen through people with albinism and as weird as it was gonna or as uncomfortable as it would make him he knew he had to do it and he does a damn good job he's the first like when that show when season one started I was so worried because I mean I may not have liked Luke Cage season two but I loved season one and Lala felt like a cotton mouth. And I didn't know what Tobias was trying to be. They both felt like they were campaigning to be the cotton mouth of the show. But by the end of it, 
I loved Tobias as a villain. I liked him more than the than the Donald Trump secret serve uh, secret agent rogue operative dude. I was like, yeah. you are the true villain of this show. You are the you are the constant evil. Like the other evils are going to come and go. You need to be there until it's all over. What, what what's going on with old boy from Love Is? What's up with him? The one that then came back from the dead. Um, oh, uh, he's trying to be he's trying to be friends with Jennifer now and date her and stuff, you know, and that's why Khalil's gonna come back and try to No, no, she's she's talking about Lala. No, yeah, Lala. Oh, because I haven't seen oh, Lala. Okay, my bad. I hey, seen I, he's not on he's not on season I, two. Can yet. I interject something? Yes. One thing that I left off that I just started watching. Uh-huh. Um, I watched the first episode and then I watched the second episode last night. And since we're talking about anti-blackness and you know, all that good stuff. I started watching Chad Loves Michelle, which is the, the reality show starring Michelle from Desi's Child and her husband. Really? The white and ambiguously black-looking white man. <laughs> oh, and man. that is the most toxic fucking relationship I have ever wow, seen really? on television. Like, if you follow really? me on Twitter, go read my tweets and then go to the hashtag. That is a toxic relationship. Because, number one, because she got a lot of, I mean, she got a lot of healing and stuff she needs to do. Michelle is a, a classic church pick me. She was just looking for a husband and he is a minister. And that usually is the worst combination because that's how they're going to end up together. Mm-hmm. How does he, he treat a, her, Carolyn? He treats her like, number one, she should not talk about being black or about the struggles of black women. She should not talk about basically race at all because they're trying to build a relationship where that basically is colorblind and that their children don't have to talk about. And she brought, I think something happened where they were having a conversation and she raised her voice and she said to him, you know, kind of the difference is because, you know, I'm black and you're white. Black people raise their voice when they get emotional. And he got upset about her bringing up being black. And then he throws in her face about her being on meds. But at the same time, when she got out of the, uh, the mental hospital... He, they went to counseling and basically his summation in his, you know, his little, you know, interview was that he just wants her to be healed and this can be over so that they can go on and build their life. That's number one. Number two, when they had the, the flare up about, um, you know, talking about race, that's his big thing is that I don't see what, basically, you know, typical white explaining. Of course, um, of course he don't see race. If he, if he did, he'd see it on himself. Right. But you, you, I, I don't see why bringing race. That's just, you know, that was hitting below the belt and she knows how to hurt me. She 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 does that when she wants to hurt me. This is him talking to the therapist and the therapist looking at him like, uh. So then they go to his hometown in Colorado to meet his super white country family. But before they get there, it's like it was like in Get Out, y'all. Oh, no. It was just like in Get Out. They got, you know, whatever the camera is, they put on the, the car while they're driving. They're driving down the road having this conversation, and they end up having a conversation about a race and about how she, you know, I'm wondering how they're going to look at me. This is a town of only, you know, a couple of hundred people, and I know I'm the only black person. Well, grow- and this is him. Well, growing up, well, growing up, you know, we didn't, there, there was no racism. We didn't talk about race. This is not a racist city. Oh, boy. So then, and that's what I put on Twitter. I was like, girl, and I had my little uh, gif of uh, Rob from Get Out. This ain't scaring you. So they go on to see, they go see Grandpa Jim. The look on Grandpa Jim's face looked like, okay, I'm supposed to smile because they prepared me with this conversation that this girl is black. So they go and they talk to Grandpa Jim and they keep, Grandpa Jim actually does a pretty good job of acting like he's okay with Michelle. But the whole episode is about her trying to make white people feel comfortable with her, with her. 
when and clearly his siblings do not feel comfortable with them getting married. Um, and then at some point it was like someone on Twitter said, you know, he looks a lot more white when you put him around white people. Well, it's true. So then they get back from after this whole weekend of her trying to make the white people feel comfortable, they get back and the therapist who wasn't having it with him has set them up with this mentor couple. Um, the woman, she said, I think she said her, her, her mom is Creole and her dad is Latino or something like that. And then the, the husband is white. So they start having this conversation. He starts he started being defensive right off about, well, she always wants to talk about race. I don't feel we should have to talk about it. We're not trying to raise our kids like that. We don't want to raise them with that kind of thinking. And finally, the, the Latino woman have an Ayala moment like, no, you can't do that. And he just looks like, and she goes on to tell him why, you, you know, why you have to acknowledge her experience as a black. Because the whole episode, every time she would bring up the stuff, especially being a black woman, he would dismiss it. Everything she said, she would say, this reminds me of being in the industry. Like, she's in one of the biggest groups in the world. And she's telling you, this reminds her of being in the industry and dealing with white people in the industry. And you are dismissing that, right? Yeah. So this woman tells him about how you can't do that. You can't dismiss her experience. Number one, you chose to marry a black woman. Like, you chose that. So she goes on to that. And then you can see him getting on nerves and his foot start tapping. He, uh, You can see his wheels turn of his defensiveness. And finally, he goes into his white man, you know, being oppressed mode. Talking about, it just feels like as a white man, you can't say anything. Oh, if you say anything, if you say anything, it's always going to be wrong. And then the white man had to check him. Child, when the white man checked him, I said, <laughs> hallelujah. And but you know what bothers me is as these days, so many, you know, I mean, we that you we're happy that, you know, white allies step up or whatever. But it also gets annoying where you have to point to the white people like, look, the white people said it too. Like if the white person telling you, that something is wrong. Because he wasn't listening was okay. to his own fiance. Is the fiance still at this point? Yeah, well, fiance only because they keep breaking it off because that, that girl, somebody, I think Son of Baldwin finally posted, was like, Michelle, you do not deserve... He's really, he's very emotionally abusive to her. Everything was about taking out race, dismissing her experience as a black woman. Um, It was about her yeah. feeling bad because he took care of her when she um had her, basically he stuck around when she had her, you know, her episode... It's a, a very abusive, ab- abusive and needy relationship. And it's going to fall apart under the lights. Yeah, I have so many questions, Carolyn. First of all, what does he do for a living? He said that he's a, he, he is a, what did he call himself? Well, what he does is he's a minister for athletes. So he's a minister that goes to the, the Super Bowl and stuff and pray and shit. That's what he does. Oh, okay. So like he would be like a like a team minister, maybe like? Yeah, what that's is, what he does. Okay. All right, second question. What is his net worth compared to her? Who got more money? No, his net worth. Oh, his net worth. Oh, he he can't have no he can't have that much money because he went to Israel Houghton looking for advice about how to date a celebrity. So he around celebrities, but he ain't got nothing. I mean, okay. he got, not saying he ain't got nothing. He got something clearly because right. he's a a team. You know, but he ain't got yeah, what it, she got. And so now my third question, and I, I feel bad for Michelle, but like, does she understand who she is? You know, this is what I I'm glad you asked that question. This is what I started to figure out watching this show. You know, we make we have memes and whole pages dedicated to poor, poor Michelle. Right. That that is a that is a characteristic that she has taken on. Oh, Jesus. she has accepted being the third mediocre member of Destiny's Child. I don't know if she's the third mediocre member. If we're she's can, the if third we're mediocre member of Destiny's Child. The only reason Kelly get any any shine is because she's Beyonce cousin and because she was sister. in the original version. She's Beyonce's sister. Let's oh, be sister, real today. <laughs> that's, the only, that's the 
only and also money. because and also because overseas she's actually a megastar, which is weird. Yeah. But otherwise, <laughs> Michelle, I mean, she, yeah, yeah, but Michelle's the one who's like she, you know, she just, was hired on afterwards. I hate to say it, but like the way the way the music world is, the way the world of like them being in projects is right now, it's almost like there was just two other women, and then there was Beyonce. And I love Destiny's Child as a unit, so that's very weird for me. Well, I no, kind of what it is is this: you got uh, you got another member out there who is more famous than than you current member is, and that's Latoya Luckett over Latoya on Greenleaf. Latoya Luckett, yeah. She on Greenleaf too. <laughs> yeah, she over. Ooh, she looking, she looking real nice and tasty too. She is the woman who is uh who got the the uh the bishop all in a tizzy. Don't oh, wow. look at her, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And she was yeah, like, she's such a I good actress. She, uh, she was good in um that terrible movie, The Preacher's Kid. She's good in the, oh, you know, she's man. a good actress in the, in most of the stuff that she's in. I haven't heard her sing in a while. She said that that single with Ludacris. But I mean, she the most most famous third member of Destiny's Child, not freaking Michelle. And you can tell it in the way Michelle has a lot of stuff she's dealing with. Right. And I don't I don't like to dwell on, you know, everybody. There's a lot with, with black mental health these days. She has a lot that she's dealing with when she talks about her family. They both come from very complicated family backgrounds. And it's just one of those things where two broken people just navigate towards each other. And somebody was thinking enough to give them a fucking show. And now we all have to watch it. <laughs> AKA they saw the problems and they were like, hey, let's, let's exploit it. Right. right. Okay. So uh, that I, was- I, I feel sorry for you that you're actually like for your for your job, you're just immersing yourself in this because you sound like you really wish you you could stop. <laughs> uh, um, no, well, I mean, I, I wish I was making money doing it. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of, before Brandon gets to end the show, there's a donate tab on the hey something nice page. You can donate to both the podcasts. So yes, please give us money. <laughs> donate to we need it. <laughs> help us, help us support. Keep these lights on in here. Uh, I did, I did want to say, Ali, do you have any more shows? Yeah, so just just two more. So I've been watching um, uh, The Gifted on Fox. Yes, that was what it was. Oh. And I I don't need to see any more X-Men movies. <laughs> I don't. Because it's better, isn't it? Because it's... Listen, that is an understatement, okay? This is, this is the X-Men show that you need watching. This is like... I've always been the kind of person, um, even when I was a kid... Um, Right after the the X Men show uh, cartoon on the nineties, like I've always wanted to see just sort of like regular mutants. Like it's I I I always wanted to focus whenever they had um, episodes of the nineties show where they would focus on just like hey we're in a community and we're helping out this one ra- this random civilian mutants like where they, where they're not in costume and they're just being you know. Like they, they, it felt more like a that sort of a minority group fighting against you know sort of racism and that sort of thing because we all know the metaphor for X Men obviously yeah but I never really got that because it was because it was always about you know there's good mutants and then there's bad mutants and then we have to put on costumes to fight each other and and I it just kind of after a while, it just kind of gets um, very redundant and stuff. And then you miss the, I think a lot of um, people, they miss the the thing that made, um, that I think makes X-Men, you know, kind of, of cool to watch. And that is that whole, you know, sort of an examination of, of um, uh, you know, uh, um, why is the name escaping me? Well, not, well, racism and that sort of bigotry, you know, against minority groups. 
And the gifted does a really good job of that. There are no costumes. There are no, there is no, there is, there are powers, but the powers so far haven't been so flashy and crazy that it sort of takes away from, from the show. Because at the core, the show focuses on the psychological impact of all of the bigotry and hate and, 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 and hope and whatnot of the characters. And that, in my opinion, makes this show very strong. Um, I just watched the, the last um, episode and one of the characters, um, he's clearly being played by a black um, guy, but his, his, his um, mutation is that his whole body is like this, this really rich charcoal color. And it's because it's all, it's all um, crystal. It's his whole body is like kind of crystallized. And there is this 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 giant sort of crack on the side of his head and oh my god he's been in the show since season one and i've always wondered why is there a giant crack that looks like as if like someone threw a stone at a at a windshield on the side of his head and they explained it i'm not going to give it away but they explained it in that last episode that i just saw and Oh my God, that was so impactful because he explained it because he wanted to give another character the the hope and the means to get over his emotional, mental hurdle of having his powers. And I just thought, man, this sh- you, you could never see that in an X-Men movie because they're too concerned about people in, you know, just being flashy, fighting mutant against mutants. It should really be mutants versus the bullshit that they have to go through, which is a direct mirror to the bullshit that minorities have to go through every day in America. Well, I mean... So I really feel like that show, this show is strong. What were you saying? Sorry. I I was just going to make a quick snide comment that uh, not against the show, but the fact that it being better than the X-Men movies is really easy to do. (laughs) Well, I mean, you're not wrong. The movies are terrible. (laughs) You're not not really wrong. So I I totally see that. The movies are basically... How can we how how can we further make Hugh Jackman not want to come back? Yeah. How do we and make more like, money? Oh, we lost this. Hugh. Okay, let's use the girl from Hunger Games. Yeah. Yeah. It's how can we make more money from this? How do we milk this completely dry? Right? They have there's no there's no unique thought process in any of that stuff. So I'm like, you know I what, forget it. I don't care about Dark Phoenix. I don't care about all that. I just want to watch this show. This show is really, I really saw this, uh, this interview with the create, literally the guy who created, like, not the movie. Can you get close to your microphone? Oh, no, no, no. Um, the, the, I was talking about the guy who created Deadpool. You know, like, you're, like, oh, you, okay. you you're, Amelia, your microphone, you're like far away from it. Oh, my bad, my bad. There you go. Um, there we go, yeah. Sorry, um... I, I saw this video with the guy who created Deadpool and he talked about how much he loves the Deadpool movies because they do his character justice. But before that, the interviewer was like, so how did you feel about uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine? <laughs> and the, the creator went off. He was like, I legitimately walked out of the theater, called my guy and was like, listen, before this comes out to DVD, do three, do these three things. Just have a guy go back, unstitch the mouth, paint like 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 you can make these changes, and like you'll make the you won't make the character right, but you'll make him better. It's it's not hard to be better than the X Men movies. It really isn't. I 
it's it's one of those things. The best X Men movie they've made, in my opinion, is First Class. But even that wasn't very good. But you're when you're talking about the bigotry and the racism and the hate and the way it affects the community, I feel like that's the movie that reflected that the best. Because, I think it's because it wasn't. I think it's because it was so much of an origin story for a lot of the characters. Yeah, and, and like, Brian Singer people, didn't make it. Yeah, and a lot of people don't understand. Like when I say that my favorite uh, X Men universe, my favorite X Men members are Shadowcat and Iceman. My favorite X Men universe character is Magneto. And if if we lived in the world of mutants and X Men, I would be on his side. And everyone's like, "But he's so evil." I'm like, "Yo." He's a Holocaust survivor who lost his mom in the camps and then was mutated into a living weapon by Nazis. Of course he's evil. He doesn't want to give humanity a chance. He gave them a chance as a child and look what they did to him. Like, and this was before he found out he had powers. And then as soon as he found out he had powers, everything got worse. So right. like that movie, that movie is the only one that I felt ever showed the true nature of what x-men is even about like yeah the other movies had the big political arguments and everything but they didn't have the only in the only indication they gave was like iceman explaining it to his parents you know yeah i want like, to was, push stuff like that more like make it let us see how it affects people like it's not all about fighting it's you're missing the point uh, it's not about uh, how many times can Hugh Jackman stab somebody or, you know, whatever, or or how many times can we make Jennifer Lawrence not have her skin blue so that her, she as an actress can have more true screen time. It's literally about bigotry and minority treatment. So right. I completely agree with you there. And yeah, those movies, they really kind of fall flat in that area. They give us like one moment of that every three films. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, done. Back to more spectacle. Yeah. Yeah. And Brand Brandon, finally, the last thing I want to say about the gifted is that they really did a good job of casting for um minority actors and actresses in this show. The 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 three main um characters on the sh- on like the three main sort of mutant characters, in my opinion, the ones that I like to follow so much, one of them is a Latino man. Another one is a literally is literally a Native American actor, and uh, the the um, one other is a um, an Asian um, young woman who, by the way, started made her career starting. Her name is Jamie Chung. Her career started on, believe it or not, MTV's The Real World. I believe it. Her career, yeah. her career could have died because she had she did that uh, the Dragon Ball live action movie, and oh, we all know how much that was hated. Yeah. She she's actually I only like her for one reason because she has a bad habit of choosing really terrible projects to be part of, and I feel like that's just because she doesn't get a lot of offers. Because again, well, Asian American no, no, nobody yeah, knows what project is going to be ter- how a terrible a thing is until it's done. Sometimes so. that's true, but her bet. I actually, speaking of her, we were talking about what we've been watching. The main thing that I've watched that I can talk about is, because uh, it's not anime, is uh, a movie that came out a while, years ago called uh, Sucker Punch, and she's in that movie. Oh, we talked about yes. Sucker Punch. She, this yeah, program. Sucker Punch, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's in Sucker Punch. She's also in, um, what's that? Ugh, crap, I forgot. What's that movie where the guy is going to Vegas and getting all drunk and whatever? The Hangover. Uh, hangover, yeah. The Hangover. She's, in, she's in The Hangover. She's in one of the yeah. Hangover movies. But anyways, she's really, 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 really good in this show as well. She's playing Blink, um, the, the mutant who can um, basically create Transport. portals. 
basically I can teleport, I can phase people through different, um, you know, stuff. But anyways, so I think it does a really, really good job of, of, of showing that minorities within the minorities and that their actual race plays a part of them being a mutant. And I love that. They actually say it in the show and they bring that up. That's really, really good. All right. That's last good. thing I watched is a short independent film called Mercenary and carrying in the same vein of watching minorities in films. This show is a French, this, sorry, this movie is a French movie and it actually stars a, a, a Pacific Islander who basically he He's he's basically um, the character of this Pacific Islander. He's a young guy around 20 or 19 years old. And he basically follows his journey of uh, growing up, not growing up on the island, but him basically leaving. If you ever saw, if you ever read the parable of the, of the son who lives the father's house in the Bible? The prodigal child. Uh, the, huh? The prodigal son. Yeah, the prodigal son. This is pretty much the prodigal son, but in film form, pretty much. So the son, he, the way you see his, you see only a short, a bit of his home life. His father is overbearing, you know, and his, he, you know, and they've basically, he's basically relegated himself to thinking that there's nothing going to, he's nothing's going to become of my life, right? Except for just being here on this farm with my father and, you know, playing rugby kind of like a hobby semi-professionally. And then all of a sudden somebody presents him with, with, um, a, with a contract that says, hey, come play rugby in France, right? But you have to leave your home for a while. You know, um, his father does not want him to leave because his father is like, I own you. And, and you know, that sort of whole sort of, um, sort of idea where, you know, it's, you can't go against your father no matter how old you are. Right. The, the son still breaks away and leaves, goes overseas. And it's basically the, the, the stuff that he gets into over there, which basically it forces him to grow up and realize the, the true importance of home and family. And I thought it was a really, really good movie. It where, came out in 2016 and it won, it was, it was on Netflix. I was just flipping from Netflix the other night and I was just like, I want to see a movie with minorities in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have and, one more Netflix thing. Are you, I'm sorry, let me finish. Finish. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I was just flipping through it and I saw, I saw the, I saw the, um, the synopsis and I thought, okay, that seems cool because I mean, I like watching rugby um, from time to time and the actor is an actual rugby player. He plays for a team in France. Mm -hmm. Bet you did and something watch I, that. Yeah, and he's he's actually you know, did this, this show. You are so trash. Kylie, come get him. I wish I could come. Come he's and out get of control. Him. He is out of control, y'all. So, so yeah, I, I just thought it was so good because the first fifteen minutes of this movie is basically PTSD for me because I cannot. Because oh, yes, yes. <laughs> you are on this goddamn parents. island and you just feel like as oh, if no. nothing is gonna happen. Right. So, so yeah, it just, it was a very, it was very emotional. I, I think I shed a tear towards the end and it's just, whew, that was a lot. So the movie's called Mercenary, Mercenary or on Netflix. I think it's, it's, I, it's called Mercenary, but um, when the movie starts, because it's a French movie, it's all subtitles, by the way. Um, because believe it or not, there are some French Polynesian islands that are still under the rule of France. Of 
France and uh, or some of them who are independent now, but their main language, their main language for professional um, and um, business stuff is still French. So that's why he's he's extremely fluent in French. Okay. But anyways, yeah. So that that's a movie is called Mercenary. It's on Netflix. So check it out when you get a chance. All right, Brandon, you said you had something on Netflix. I got two more right quick. Um, yeah, because Netflix stuff. I was sat in the couch and watched Netflix all day yesterday. I saw The Little Rascals, the movie from 1994, I think it is. I hadn't seen it in a very long time. First time I seen it in HD. I famously don't care much for this movie because I prefer the originals. But I enjoyed it more this time, I think, watching it with fresh eyes, probably because I didn't have to dodge any racist jokes. Robin <laughs> Buckley and Snipey. <laughs> I knew nothing racist was going to happen, so I guess it felt like a nice reprieve from everything else that was going on. Um, and also watching these children struggle to act. Because sort, yeah. kind of, sort of kind of the whole point, um, the part and parcel of our gang, the Little Rascals in general, is that they don't cast actors they cast regular kids to play regular kids. And so some of them don't know how to say certain words. They don't, they don't memorize the lines and stuff. And so you see them sort of kind of, you know, pausing between stuff. And that's and so it's not good acting, technically But speaking, isn't that the appeal of it, Brandon? But that's the appeal that's of it. That's what I'm going to say. Ain't that the gag? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. It's not technically good acting, but that's the appeal of it, is that they're, they're, it's rough around the edges. And it works for what it is. Only weird thing is, why does Alfalfa in 1994 still wear suspenders in high waters? I feel like they could have did modified. Alfalfa, did Buckwheat from 1994 ever get his hair done? Oh, no, it, um, Ross Bagley played Buckwheat in 1994. Oh, he yeah, that's right. Dre- he sure did. He has dreadlocks in the movie. He sure did. Yeah. Who is he done with Fresh Prince of Bel Air? Yes. What happened, Ali? Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. Kel- 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 as he was on Fresh, he was on Fresh Prince. Yeah. No, I was. said, what has he done since Fresh Prince of Bel Air? Um, according to the internet. Been a thug. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. But, um, Usually kids like that, after the show is over, they go to UCLA and that's it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ali, what was your question? I was saying, doesn't doesn't Whoopi Goldberg play his mother in the movie? Yes, he does. It's a joke. It's like, hey, my mom's here. Whoopi. <laughs> and then it cut to her. That's Whoopi funny. Because Whoopi Goldberg was a, um, she collects buckwheat um, collectibles. She has for a very long time. That's her favorite character. I would I would love to find out, and I guess I could find out from somebody somewhere. Does it always sometimes feel like UCLA and USC like have a pack with these childhood stars? And if you stop acting, just come and go to our school. That's what I always end up. <laughs> UCLA, a USC. A, 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 a former child actor scholarship. Scholarship. <laughs> it's like a secret scholarship they got t- stored away somewhere. Right. Uh, also, the Orange Demon, of course, is in this movie too. I have I forgot he was in it. Then he showed up. Um, he plays um, the rich kid Waldo's father in a cameo, and they show him in the in the post credits gag reel stealing stealing go um an extra's popcorn. You know what? To film his scene. I told you I've been recently binge watching over and over again the Back to the Future series. Yes, and in series um, what is it in the first one? You know they had a scene where Doc asks Marty, "Who's your president?" And he says Ronald Reagan and like Doc just like five. Who's gonna be the secretary of defense? Like, yeah, because he started. He, I think he said Jay Russell was the first lady. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, that's what he said. It's Jay Wyman or somebody. I don't know. He, in about twenty years, that's gonna be people looking at us. Yep. Again. Yep, indeed. Uh, and then I also saw a documentary called Mr. Dynamite: The Life of James Brown, which was which came out at the same time as Get On Up in in two thousand fourteen, and it's produced by Mick Jagger. 
They oh. interview um, Mick Jagger and Questlove. I think Chuck D is in it. And then they interview Fred Wesley, Boosie Collins, and both Maceo and Marvin Parker, who, of course, were all in class level field. Basically, everybody in James Brown's band who's still around, who was like a important person in the band. Can you explain that comment you made about this documentary about Fred Wesley on Facebook? Oh yeah, I just so, didn't quite understand it. So uh, Fred Wesley is in the is in his interview scenes. Basically, it's all about he thought James Brown's music was trash from a mm. music music musician perspective. It was not written properly. It was not played properly. He thought he was above it. He wanted to be a great jazz um, trump. Um, I forget he was trumpet trumpeter or trombonist. A great jazz horn player. So he joined the band in 1967, I think it was, for the sole purpose of getting his ass out the South to New York City where he could become famous on his own after he left the band. And he said all this on camera. And I was like, hey, this a bitch, you waited until James was in the ground cold so you could talk to him. But, but to be fair, when you look at back at history, most of these, most of the bands of these labels thought themselves above the labels. Yeah. So you, you look at like the bands from Motown, they all the musicians, they were all jazz musicians. They hated Motown music. Yep. <laughs> yep, they thought um, they were above it. And yep. it's a very it's a balanced documentary because it goes into it it they stay away a little bit from James Brown being an abusive, you know, boyfriend mm. and husband and stuff, but they do go into the fact that, you know, he was basically for lack of a better he he was a he was a wild boy. He was always in trouble, always in and out of jail and stuff back then. And the motherfucker was a goddamn Republican. Like a conservative what? Republican, yes. He, I believe he, it. He kept quiet about his beliefs until he supported Richard Nixon in 1972. And black people, black people basically disowned him when he did that. It was basically the equivalent of Kanye supporting the Orange Demon today. You know, that gives a whole nother perspective to living in America. Because <laughs> ain't that the most super patriotic black song you ever heard? Yeah, because he talks about, because they have clips of him talking about he was he's very patriotic. He believes in, you know, like, he believes in the bootstrap theory and the trickle-down theory, you know, shit that's proven not to work for black folks. And he, um, Al Sharpton said he, because Al Sharpton was a teenager back then who hang around James. And he said him and James would get into big arguments about politics and about all that kind of stuff. But James was stuck in his ways. He thought, you know, I did it. I put myself up out of the ghetto. Everybody else can too, but everybody else can't sing and dance James like Brown. you can. James Brown looked like the quintessential self-hating, hella black ass man. That's what he looked like. That's <laughs> what he did. He do. He's yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like, because I, I watched it because, you know, James Brown's from my hometown and everything. And they, they don't really go into a lot of his home life. They don't, they, I think they, they touched on him buying the WRDW radio station in Augusta. But they they stopped the documentary in '75, so there's none of him with the, like the car chase after he shot the people up in that office building and stuff. There's none of that. Oh wow! Um, you know, there's there's none of his death and them leaving him in the refrigerator for like about six months or whatever it was. You know, after he died, there's none of the um, body heat. They stop it after the big payback, basically. Um, I have a question. Yes. How does all that anti-black rhetoric jive with the fact that his music is considered some of the blackest music of the black power movement? It's interesting <laughs> because I think, no seriously. Yeah, uh, no, I don't know. That's my answer. Like, it's weird because yeah, it was definitely was he had this thing about wanting to support black liberation in his own way. He just didn't understand. I don't think the system like what systemic racism was and systemic oppression was like and how you know, laws that don't support sort of kind of government intervention, especially back then. 
because mm-hmm. his very hometown in 1971, um, the federal government under Nixon, because Nixon had to follow the law because what the president is supposed to do, even the bad presidents, that's why the one we have is worse than bad, um, right. had to send out federal troops to desegregate the schools in Augusta because the Augusta School Board, Richmond County School Board, refused to. It's just so weird to just hear that. I mean, yeah. you can't watch it. You can't watch a Black Power documentary without. And I'm not just talking about I'm black and I'm proud. I'm talking about that whole Jane Brown soundtrack from that time yeah. period. Like it's just the whole the whole movement. So I wonder. I mean, we'll the never one, know. The one, yeah, the one <laughs> that meant the most to him, in accordance to his own words from interviews back then, was um, I don't want nobody. Uh, to give me nothing, open up the door, I'll get it myself. The rest of them are on various scales of how he actually felt about the thing. But that's the one because that represents his conservative beliefs. You had to listen. You had to, I'm listening between the lines like a motherfucker now to these records because right. I know them all by heart. <laughs> so it, that was a very eye-opening. Like I was like, really? This, this like people... we, any of you listen to Black? <laughs> the sound like the Black Caesar. Yeah. When you listen to the big um, payback. Yeah, the big payback when you there was another one um, about how I mean all of it was about soul power, mm-hmm. but there was another one. What we need soul power. Uh, there um, was another one. Uh, get up, get up, get into, get um, get involved and get into yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> the whole thing. Oh, that's so weird. It's so fucking weird. It's like it's it's like literally like the Kanye shit. It's so strange. Yeah. It's so bizarre. But that's how that shit is. All right, Amelia. The shows that you have that you haven't mentioned yet. Yep. Any shows and movies you haven't mentioned yet? Okay, so this week I kind of had my head down. It was a lot of reruns for me. Um, really, the biggest thing uh, has been keeping up with Doctor Who, which um, I love where it's going, but I also noticed the, the my issues with where it's going. Um, so keeping up with Doctor Who, I'm one week behind on Riverdale. Uh-huh. And other than that, um, like I, I mentioned, Sucker Punch earlier. And that's been about it for me this week. I've been, my priorities have been in different places. Right. I've, uh, today's my first day where I haven't had to either go work a job or go do some sort of art-related work. Like, And I was supposed to be at work today, but I needed a mental health day. And yet, you know, you brought up Breakfast Club in Riverdale, and I was like, "All right, screw the mental health day. I'm gonna go ahead and do this talk, this podcast, because I love Brandon and I love Riverdale and I love. Uh, well, I don't love Breakfast Club, but I'll talk about it. No <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead on to the news then. All right, so first up, to follow up from our Aretha Franklin episodes we did at during her passing, uh, we mentioned that it was possible that the family might clear the rights to Amazing Grace, which was the documentary that showed her recording her famous 1972 live album at the, um, which church was it that she was at? It's going to be in here. New Temple Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles in January 72. At the time, you know, the footage was, um, the they had some audio-visual sync issues, so they never released it. And then when they tried to put it out in 2008, she filed an injunction against it because they hadn't got her contract right, you know, after um, 30 years. You know, they hadn't revised anything 30 or 40 years. So now they've got everything cleared up. The estate, uh, which I think is run by her niece, has um, made, like, you know, like, given the approval and everything, it's worked out. So it will now, Amazing Grace would debut tomorrow 
We're recording this on Sunday, the 11th. Tomorrow, the 12th of November, at the DOC NYC Film Festival in New York City, which is basically they just show documentaries. Praise uh, Black Jesus, yes. you heard our prayer. Yep, so that means that it's going to be eventually going to other film festivals, and eventually it will be out either on like Netflix or someplace like where you can buy a copy and finally see it after 40, what has it been now, 46 years of sitting on the shelf? Mm-hmm. Yep, so now you'll, everybody will be able to finally see it. So, well, I, I told, remember, we, I think we said on the show, I said this will be the only bright spot to lose on the Queen is that we knew that this was the only way that we would ever see this movie right. was for her to die. Yep. So, thank you posthumously. Right. <laughs> and I can't wait to actually see it and to see, like, all the brilliance on the screen. Next And, and you know what else? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be very honest. Yeah. When I go to see the movie, I'm taking me a Martin Luther King church fan. <laughs> I'm, taking, yes. I'm taking a tambourine. I'm taking a scarf with my name embroidered on it. <laughs> and... <laughs> And I'm going to wear my extra gloves. Because I'm going ready to have church. <laughs> Amen. Come on, church. <laughs> uh, next up, more good news. Um, so the 2019 Songwriting Hall of Fame nominees were announced this past week. Um, I will read the list backwards. Uh, the Eurythmic. So these are among the um, the performing nominees. Chubby James and the Eurythmics. Lloyd Price. John Prine, Cat Stevens, who changed his name. Uh, he's a Muslim name. I forgot what it is. Um, Jeff Lynn, Jimmy Cliff, Mike Love from the Beach Boys, Vince Gill, Chrissy Hind, Mariah Carey, uh. and uh, <clears throat> Melissa Arnett Elliott. Missy Elliott. Who is the first female rapper to ever be nominated to the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Because yeah. she not only wrote all her own shit, she does feel the win, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But she wrote at least one song for every one of your favorite um, R and B singers from back in the day. She absolutely did. Uh, Seven oh two. And she sang on them too. Mm-hmm. Destiny's Child, Beyonce, Aaliyah. She wrote all, uh, a bunch of Aaliyah stuff. Her and Static, um, Zach Major. Uh, who else? Who got, oh, got Missy songs? Total. They got What About Us? Uh, Gina yeah. Thompson. She wrote everybody. Like, she wrote LSG. Yep. She wrote, uh, she wrote that, like, you won't be able to read that whole list because everybody that came out in the, the late 2000, I mean, late um, 90s, early 2000s, she wrote a song for everybody. Everybody. Uh, she wrote Heartbreak oh. Hotel for Whitney Houston. Yep. She wrote a whole bunch of stuff. Yep. A whole Lots bunch of, of stuff. Box. Like, so she, she needs her um, flowers. Uh, this nomination needs to be spread along into an actual um, list and need to put her name in big bright lights in that damn Hall of Fame. Right. Uh, and also, she went as herself on Halloween and looked exactly the same. So that's... that's, that's <laughs> yeah, she did. He looked exactly the same. Exactly the same. Um, Who sat down and gave her them same finger waves from the Rain video? I don't know. Yep. Um... Among the other um, nominees, like the non-performing ones, um, Bobby Hart and um, Tommy Boyce, who wrote the Monkey songs, is nominated. Uh, Lynn Hearns and Stephen Flatterly, they are they are Broadway musical theater writers, but they wrote the songs for the movie Anastasia. So speaking of Ali, she sung the song, um, what's it called? Um, Heart Don't Fail Me. Now, what's the name of that damn song? Journey to the Past. That They wrote that song, that Aaliyah sung the um, pop version of. And Dallas Austin is also nominated, who, of course, wrote Almost all of the big TLC hits and wrote for Monica and uh, Boys to Men as well. 
Now, Brandon, you know good and daggone well. The only fact that we want you to give us right now is how the hell did Mariah Carey get nominated? Well, did, she, did she get nominated performance songs? No, for, for writing. She wrote most of her hits. Did she? Yes, she did. It's, I, I was surprised. I, like, I found this out a couple of years ago, but I was surprised that she wrote... Um, like, if you go down her list of her like greatest hits records, like I'm pretty sure she wrote um, Anytime You Need a Friend... I'm gonna go. I'm gonna look it up right now because, like, some of them, of course, she yeah, got so from she other wrote folks. all the good stuff, like Vision of Love. Yeah, from and, back in the day. And, yeah. Okay. Like, the, gotcha. She wrote some of her stuff now, but the closer you get to the day, the more of her stuff she picked up from like professional, like when uh, she looked like a regular performer. Okay. Writers. That yeah. that makes sense. I, yeah. I accept that. She wrote Vision of Love. Love takes time. Um, someday I don't want to cry. She wrote Emotions. Can't let go. Um. What else she write? She wrote Dream Lover, Hero. I mean, uh, anytime you get a friend, fantasy, like all of her Christmas. So she wrote most of her early number ones. Yeah, One Sweet Day. I was, okay. I was my baby. Like all the good shit she wrote. It's one of those <laughs> things where somebody becomes such a, I don't want to say pop culture jerk, joke, joke because they can put also Michael Jackson and Whitney in that same. But basically, when you become the butt of so many jokes and people kind of distort or forget your legacy, you're right. Y'all, y'all right, and I'm wrong. I forgot. No, it's it's, uh, it's all good. I understand though, because you think about how like you no, know, she's who's eating. Nobody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me pull up this um. There's these um, audio meters. I'm going to find out who it is next time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> uh, but uh, on the Whitney thing, I've always made this joke. Uh, it's, probably a, it's probably a generational joke, but I've always made the joke that uh, in my experience, there's two different, there was two different Mariah Carey's. Like, there was a human Mariah Carey, and then she went away and came back, and I don't know what came back, but it wasn't the same Mariah. I was like, is that a different person? No, it, I, I'd agree with you. I'd agree well, with you. it was when she reinvented herself around the Rainbow album. I could tell you exactly when it was. It was Rainbow <laughs> in 2011, 2000, either 2000, 2001. Rainbow, always, 99, 99. Yep, told you. Late 99. My favorite, uh, my favorite joke in regards to her was after that uh, that performance, I think it was last year, where she was just absolutely terrible. Somebody took a quote from American Horror Story, which I hate, but uh, they had one good season in my mind, Coven, and it said, uh, "When a new so- when a new supreme is rising, the previous one will start start to fall a- fall apart." And they showed Mariah at that performance right next to a picture of uh, Ariana Grande. Grande. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, sorry. God, it's happening. And I'm sorry, it wasn't Rainbow, because didn't Butterfly become before Rainbow? Butterfly did. It was when she divorced Tommy Matola. That was Yeah, like, Butterfly was when she started being more hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. And then a lot of people got, a, a lot of people took uh, that performance as a joke to, to or as an opportunity to crack jokes about Nick Cannon. And... I was like, I don't understand why her losing her voice is his fault. But okay, yeah, <laughs> and, her, and him wearing a pearl Bailey tam is her fault. So <laughs> did you say a pearl Bailey tam? I I'm sorry, I didn't mean tam. I meant turban. Sorry, pearl Bailey turban. Yeah, but um, there's a there's a there's a whole section. 
<laughs> okay, I'm better. <laughs> There's a whole section of a, a of a Nick Cannon stand up from when they were still married. Because I'm a Nick Cannon fan, like truly. There's a section of his stand up from when they were still together where listening to him crack jokes, I was like, oh, y'all not gonna last. Because um, he talked about uh, she had like Barbara Streisand in the house for like an interview, and you know, Nick. Nick comes. Nick comes from a poor family, and he uh, he made the joke that Barbara's been, or that Mariah tried to like. This was while they were still together. He was saying stuff like this. He was like, she kept trying to take me to fancy restaurants. Tried to break my hood habits. Doesn't like that when we walk past the check phone, uh, uh, a payphone, I check for change. <laughs> in <the> little pockets. <laughs> he's like, he's like, she's trying to fool me, she me up and stuff. And then apparently she had Barbara Streisand or. Uh, Barbara Walters, I mean, yeah, um, at Barbara the house Walters. one day, and they talked about like unfaithfulness. And Mariah had the most like postulated prep voice ever. Uh, she's like, "He's a man, Barbara," <laughs> and like he's like, they didn't air this part because they didn't want you to see the look on my face. <laughs> <laughs> Where apparently he's looking at Barbara and he's like, "Bitch, you up in my house and you trying to fuck up my marriage." I'm gonna need you to leave. He didn't say that, of course, but like you could see like the frustration in his face. So, you know, when everyone like started making jokes about their split and being like, "Oh, Mariah done finally like learned or whatever," I was like, "Yup, y'all, y'all are looking at the wrong one." Nick learned. Nick made the right decision, and this, that performance happened. And I was like, "Thank you, thank you." Everyone's gonna see now. <laughs> I felt like that was gonna do him some good. I don't know why I thought that, but I did. I was like, this is going to help people respect Nick Cannon more. And then I turned out to be wrong because yep. he put on a turban. Yes, he did. And he's crazy now. Uh, next up, somebody, who's wrestling? I think that might have been me. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Host, host still. I can't do, I can't do anything with the Russells. Uh, okay. All right, next up, uh, Snoop Dogg wants to make a biopic about his life. Um, nah. He's compared, actually not a biopic, um, it sounds more like he wants a like a Netflix miniseries because he wants. That to I'm be here for that, but I'm not here for Ryan Coogler and Lee Daniels. Yeah, so that's, I'm here for Ryan Coogler because that's real Richmond. Yeah, but yeah. Lee Daniels, no. Yeah, that's the yeah, other part of it. Not. He he wants to span his whole life. He wants it to be about him being in the '60s with his mom, the '70s with his um his dad that he gets born, and then the '80s and the '90s and his career and stuff. Uh, he wants Ryan Coogler and Lee Daniels to work on it together. The only reason he won't leave Danny's is because he he another one of them. He ain't gonna say it, but he another one of them Negroes that think empire is about him. I feel like he wants Lee Daniels because Ryan Coogler and Lee Daniels, I know this might offend some people, but they represent two different sides of the black entertainment world. Ryan Nobody here is offended by that statement. Yeah, Lee Daniels represents quality. <laughs> yeah, Lee Daniels is like that name that a lot of black folks see. And no, like, he represents oh, trash. And really, what the only thing Lee Daniels would really bring to the project is kind of the same thing as with uh, Pose, when you have what's his face from um, American Horror Story, who I'm very yeah. convinced he didn't do shit unless, unless maybe he gave some, I don't know, episodes he wanted to do. But he has the name and has the, um, Ryan Murphy. the relationship with Fox. Ryan Murphy. Now, if, if he, he now, if Lee Daniels is attached and he does pull a what's what's our boy name Ryan? What? Uh, Coogler. 
No, not Ryan Coogler from Pose. Uh, what's his name? Ryan, Ryan Murphy. Murphy is what you're yeah. talking about. Now, if Lee Daniels does pull a Ryan Murphy, I am here for that. Because I was very sure. When they first announced, back when they first announced Pose, we was all real suspect about Ryan Murphy. But the fact that he stepped back and let, you know, actual queer folks do the writing and stuff, I'm here for it. So if Lee Daniels is just there to use his name and his relationship with Fox to get this on TV, yes. But don't you go near the fucking set. Don't you write <laughs> nothing. Don't you cast nobody. Don't you do nothing. But show up every week. To sign some checks. Calvin, baby, yeah. can we throw your um, younger self into a trash can and have you trying to get out by, um, for your dad? <laughs> can we what? Can we throw young Calvin into a trash can? Can we do that? Yes. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> and you know what? What also, and the only thing that makes me nervous now is, you know, having lived in Long Beach and actually knew people that knew Snoop, you know, I think he is going to really try to gangster up his life. But <laughs> he wasn't nothing but a church boy going to Long Beach Poly back then. So I just hope. But that, explains that he does that right by his own biopic series. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what about all the times he was like tried for murder and his big? He gangster? was famous that came already. Later. <laughs> Look, that came later. The murder stuff came after he became a star. When he was just regular old Snoop, he was first. He was living in Long Beach. His mom and him went to church with my friends. He was going to Poly, living his life. I don't know. At one point, he did join the Crips. He was a Crip, but I mean, he wasn't like big gangster Crip until he became big right. famous gangster Crip. Right. Right. I I want this only because of uh, people seem to forget. People are so used to like he talks about stuff and he knows. Uh, uh, y'all know who I'm thinking of, that white lady who bakes. Martha the, Stewart. The famous Martha Stewart. Yeah. People know a lot of people like my age, for some reason, only know Snoop as Martha Stewart's homeboy. And I'm like, bruh, no. <laughs> like, you need to know what the act like Snoop does. Like, you need to see that. Like, there's um, there's a meme of that somewhere that circled the internet like a hundred times. And uh, um, yeah, it was somebody who was like a super Kanye fan said some bad stuff about Snoop Dogg because he was like, this dude want to talk about yay, but all he does is hang out with Martha Stewart. And they were like, oh, to be so young that you don't remember when Snoop was tried for murder. And, I'm just, and like, I need this biopic. I need These this are, biopic. Those are the times that millennials are trash. Just yeah. like the other day, so when they tried to uh, drag uh, Sugar Free and all the West Coast people had to come and drag them for dragging Sugar Free. Like, just because your young ass don't know shit and think that uh, the Migos is good music, you need to shut the fuck up or he come from wherever he is in Pomona and pimp slap your ass back into reality. Lord Jesus. All right. Next I, up. <laughs> there are times where I have to acknowledge that my generation kind of sucks. <laughs> it... it, it there are, there are times, oh, but uh, and that's definitely one of them. It's like, look, just because this is what it's like now doesn't mean this is what it was like then. You know, like these right. people came up in a totally different time period. But um, I'm here for this biopic. I do want Lee Daniels to stay away from it because Kugler's the man. Just leave it in the hands of Kugler. Let him do what he does. It's going to be great. Yep. All right. Ali, are you back? I am back. Okay. I saw your note in the thing. Okay. Um, so we talked last week about yeah. they, they were doing... Ali's voice is just so soothing. Come on, Ali. Last week, we talked about that they were doing reshoots on Shazam. They are only going to be doing two weeks of reshoots at that Brandon, time. Brandon, are you up on your own mic? Because I can't hear you. Oh, sorry. Wait, yeah, it's it's pointed the other either. way. All right, here we go. Is that better? 
Yes. Okay. Yes. It was pointed in a weird way. All right. So we talked last week about how they were doing reshoots on Shazam that were only going to take two weeks during November. Uh, then it came out that they've been extended to December the 22nd, I think is the extent date. And the internet does what it usually does when they do reshoots on a DC movie. They panicked. Uh, <laughs> they said, oh, what's wrong with the movie? What's happening? I they mean- go... They're going to take out Superman, Batman um, references. They're going to make it dark because Warner Brothers didn't like it. That is this, that, that, this. And so the director, David Sandberg, um, had, he's actually good for this. He came out on his Twitter. Somebody actually added him and asked him, so what are they making you change? What are you got to take out? What's happening? He said, we're just doing regular reshoots. They gave us more money. And so I'm able to do some of the things that I wanted to do. When we, you know, when we shot the movie, um, we're doing them the way I wanted to do them. And he also, he also talked uh, a long time ago about how he likes to make the shortest film possible. And so they're giving him a little bit extra money to make the movie like the way he wants to. Did I, he said, we're not changing the tone or taking out references to Superman or Batman or anything else crazy like that that you might have heard. So everybody's <laughs> fine. You know, some, some people were sated by that. Some people don't believe him. But also, one reason they're probably extending these reshoots um, Asher Angel, who plays Billy Batson, who is the lead character of the movie, is not in, ca- in Canada right now during the reshoots. He is still in Utah filming episodes of Andy Mack for the Disney Channel. Oh, I forgot that was the same actor. Yeah, it's the same kid. So you kind of might want him to go to Canada at some point for these reshoots. <laughs> yeah. Because I know Zachary Levi is up there and he's, you know, he's shooting his part, but, you know, they both play yeah, the same character. Yeah, he just posted it on Instagram earlier. Yeah, that he was, he, he had to get his hair dyed back black again. Um, yeah, so, and like shave his face off again because he's got, he's got the five o'clock strong right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. And so, but, you know, Asher is in there, so I mean, I'm certain they're going to reshoot scenes with him in it. So eventually he'll have to make his, his way up there to Canada. I think Cooper Andrews is already up there because I remember they both went to their Rhode Island Comic Con together, him and Zachary Levi. Um, Though, uh, shout out to uh, shout out to the, the kid uh, whose name escapes me even though you just said it because he is Angel. completely, yeah, he has completely circumvented the Disney curse. As soon as Andy Mack is over, he's just going to be like, oh yeah, I'm already involved in DC. And if this movie does yeah. well, which I genuinely think it will, he will be back at least one to two more times. Right. Like he'll, he'll completely evade the Disney actor struggle of like, what do I do now that this is over? I'm too famous to live a normal life, but I'm not famous enough to immediately have new work. He's like, nah, I'm in DC now. So right. I'm good. Well, I mean, he only he only has like after the after Andy Mack is over, he only has a couple of years left if if that DC movie um is good because then you know of course as they have Eric to recast Long because actor's life, old. yeah, as if any yeah. long actor's life, you know, the adolescent fairy godmother is gonna well, whack well, him well, in the face with her wand. He, he's sixteen. Gonna... They cast him on purpose because he was already fifteen, sixteen, so he won't grow. Too much more too much? than he like already has. They hope. <laughs> Sometimes Jesus has <laughs> yeah. other plans, but all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he wakes up and his voice is super deep. <laughs> oh God! Holy his moly! Adam's is, his Adam's apple is the size of a coconut. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Asher, action! Holy moly! Where's Talking oh, Toddy? Oh, wait, cut! What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. Oh, um. Shazam! <laughs> Jesus. Uh, next up, uh, 
30 years, 30, mm-mm, 33 years after the fact, I think 34 comes out next year, um, Hanna-Barbera, well, Warner Brothers, no, Hanna-Barbera doesn't exist anymore. It's now Warner Brothers animation because they took it over. It's finally concluding the series, The 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. Now, oh, wow. For those of us who watched the show when it was either when it was on or in reruns <gasps> on the Cartoon Network. F- finish this, because I just got some breaking news that I got to share with y'all. So fin- finish okay. that. All right. All right. So for those of us who watched the um, show in 80, 85 or watched the reruns, 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo was a Saturday morning show where Scooby-Doo and Shaggy and Daphne and Scrappy-Doo, they uh, accidentally opened up this chest of demons that came out. Uh, real ghosts on Scooby-Doo, and they had to capture one each week. Uh, and they also met this um, this uh, Chinese kid named Flim Flam, who, because the bosses were in the Tibetan mountains, who helped them on their quest to find these ghosts. And there were 13 episodes, and it got canceled. So that means they only captured, they actually had to capture 11 of them, I think. So there's two left, and they're making a uh, animated original movie called Scooby-Doo and the Curse of the 13th Ghost. Where Mystery Incorporated mm. goes out of business because they actually capture a guy who was actually innocent for once. They fuck up. They get sued out of the business. They had to sell their stuff off and they find the crystal ball from that show in their, way back in the back in their stuff. And on it, uh, Vincent Van Gogh, who's like their version of Vincent Price, who Vincent Price actually played the voice in the old series. Now it's L- Maurice LaMarche doing the voice. He's been trying to call them because he found the 13th ghost after all these years. So they go back to um, Himalayas and try to find the 13th ghost before it takes over the world and stuff. And they, they meet Flim Flam again. Flim Flam is now, I think, like a teenager. Because in the original show, he was a, he was a kid. And yeah. so and they, his name is no longer Flim Flam. Because <laughs> bullshit. Because racism. We're not. Because we're not doing that bullshit. Are you serious yeah. right now? Flim Flam, Really? Yeah. It's just I another way of saying Chin Chong. Are you goddamn serious? <laughs> the fuck? Ooh, come on, I'm Ray. sorry. I'm sorry. I, I didn't see all 11, but I definitely remember like one or two of them. And I was definitely excited. My favorite Scooby-Doo project, and I think I liked it so much because it sort of reminded me of 13 Ghosts a little bit, was the, the Zombie Island movie. Yes, Because, I mean, they Island. played Scooby-Doo, Where, Where Are You, the cartoon series, when I was little. It was reruns, of course, but they played it. And, like, as so- that was what would that's what they would put on as soon as Dragon Ball Z was over. So it's like Dragon Ball Z, Sailor Moon, all that goes away, and then you're watching Scooby-Doo. And I had no problem with that as a kid. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, this is cool. And then I think I did see one or two episodes of 13 Ghosts at some point. But, I mean, you know, everything was reruns at that point. Um, I think they just threw it in with regular Scooby-Doo. Yeah, they or ran something. them all like, as one big package back in the day. Yeah, and then um, I really enjoyed... I loved all of the Scooby-Doo stuff where it looked like there was actual monster stuff going on. That's why Zombie Island was my favorite because there was no man in a mask. There was none of that. There was... Real you know, zombies. The big tw- yeah, the big twist was the zombies aren't the problem. The thing, the other thing is right. the zombies have been trying to save you this whole time. And I was like, that's cool. And then the movies got like really ridiculous and they just kept making more. And I feel like that's like more than the live action movies didn't do Scooby-Doo any favors, but I feel like the continued animated films to the point that now, of course, they've rebooted Scooby-Doo four times and the animation quality is terrible. Like, that's, to me, what killed Scooby-Doo is when they kept the movies going for no reason. Well, there's a reason. Money. That's always the reason. But But, yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing this. And now, Carolyn, what is your news? 
And, you know, it's very appropriate considering what our next topic is. We need to sprinkle a little Holy Ghost to make sure it don't let me happen. <laughs> and it also goes to our earlier topic about Aretha Franklin, about her movie coming out. It was just announced at the Holy Convocation this weekend that the um, the biopic of the Clark sisters, You Brought the Sunshine, will be coming to Lifetime in 2019. Uh Oh, no, not like... I was excited that I heard Lifetime. Yeah. I, I, just, I don't know how to feel right now. Like, I'm excited to get a biopic. I'm excited that it looks like Twinkie must be on board. That means maybe they won't have no problems getting the rights to the music. But I just... I mean, the other good thing is that the, the Clarksons are already light-skinned, so they don't have to go through the whole light-skinned thing. With, <laughs> but they are but they all, they're also all heavy-set, except for after Karen got her gastric bypass. But... I don't want them to try and make them skinny either. Only Dorinda is skinny, but even these, but the whole thing is they are, you know, they yet alive and they can't mess it up too bad. And hell, BET and TV One didn't had them on their on their network forever, and they ain't did no biopic. So shout out to the Clark sisters. We gonna get us a gospel biopic, and I'm excited. <laughs> so I'm gonna keep my my Usher gloves and my church fan and stuff from the Amazing Grace and documentary, the scar, the scar. and and just hold on to it. I'm, I might have a screening at my house. <laughs> <laughs> I feel good. I feel blessed. All right. And considering hold, what we're about to talk about, we needed that holy water. Yeah, we so. did. Hold, hold on to that blessing. Um, <laughs> last week, we talked about how the Satanic um, Temple was threatening Netflix and Warner Brothers about the chilling adventures of Sabrina because they used a statue of Baphomet on the set of the witch high school that Sabrina has to go to. And it looks a lot like the one that the Satanic um, Temple uses often. So they have now filed a formal $50 billion lawsuit against Netflix and Warner Brothers. Uh, <laughs> basically, you like... see why we needed some holy water? Because when... <laughs> devil out here suing folks for defamation of character. <laughs> and so I'm wondering if they'll actually, if they'll either settle or, because I mean, the thing is, they are actually on the set right now filming season two. They can very easily just just take that thing off the set or redesign it and reshoot those scenes and slide the edits back into the, uh, on Netflix and not, and not tell nobody. Or they could they pay could. them off or settle out of court. They could do either of those. They got enough money to do it. Yep. I just think it's kind of ridiculous. It's like, look, it's, any anything that's iconic beyond a single community, I feel like if you're suing, and it, it's it's something like this, it's like no, you're you're reaching. This isn't your thing. Like this is, it, you know what I mean? It's, they're just, just causing they're just causing devil treat us all. Hey hey hey! This is not of God. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You couldn't resist it. <laughs> Lord Jesus. No, it's fine. Uh, (laughs) Next up, uh, Vince Gilligan, creator and um, showrunner, executive producer of the hit AMC TV series Breaking Bad and its spinoff Better Call Saul, is working on another spinoff, which is a movie about Jesse Pinkman, who, of course, was um, Aaron Paul's character, who's the second lead of Breaking Bad. Uh, It's supposed to be set after Breaking Bad shows about Jesse going around after the death of Walter White. Spoiler alert for the one of the most, you know, like highest rated finales in TV history. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, really, you really could have said that without saying that. Could I? <laughs> think, that, think, think it through next time. <laughs> All right. Um, so people are like, uh, talking about like, 
We don't want to see a movie about Jesse. Yes, you niggas do. Y'all will be in the theater or, or if it come on TV, on, on the TV watching this shit. You know you're going to, you curious asses. People talk. Yeah, people I'm still Brandon. We yeah. don't want that, so... No, you don't. Yeah, listen, y'all acting, talking <laughs> no, shit. Y'all used to love Jesse Pick when the show was like, y'all be like, ooh, bitch, bitch, science, bitch. Yeah, bitch. Y'all would be quoting all his lines and all his little, like, um, fake, um, wet, um, what wigger um, nonsense he'd be doing in that program. Y'all love that little white boy. Y'all know it. <laughs> Everybody, but self-included, is going to be watching the fuck out of this goddamn movie and getting their lives if it's good or or questioning if if it's bad. Because Vince Gill gets to that. I never watched Breaking Bad. Yeah, there's reasons for that. (laughs) (laughs) No. um, I think you're old enough now, but when it... No, no. No, no. I was already old enough to have been watching it if I wanted to. Any show... Any show that's basically centered around like criminal actions for me, video games too. I can't do it. Like oh, when everybody oh yeah, you was don't so, watch this <laughs> it's yeah. When everybody was so shook about Walter dying, I'm like, yo, he literally became a meth kingpin. Hollywood and knows there's only one, two ways this can end. Either a he takes down someone bigger than him and gets amnesty and puts the and and quits the game forever, or B, he goes down because they can't say anything about like crime, like being good. Crime is not pay is the ten. Exactly. And they have to keep that message going. And the only way they can keep that message going is by either A, killing off the character, or B, making him go good. And right. obviously he wasn't gonna go good. And apparently uh, it, it was yeah. Carolyn, you had a question? I had, well, no, I was going to actually energize, but you know, I've been sitting over here and that's why I was waiting for you to end the item. I've been sitting over here doing Clarkson's research. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> First of all, I'm sad that Greg couldn't make it because he would have definitely been more excited with me than y'all, number one. Number two, remember the episode, uh, the CW show we did a couple of episodes ago with the lady that uh, ran up on the mic in the middle when of the song? Still, when they want to steal your solo, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was at Karen Clark Sheard's husband church, GEI, whatever it's called, and their production company that basically runs all of runs Kiki Sheard and all of them that runs all of their production, everything is the one that's directly attached to Lifetime. So they gonna okay. they gonna have all their right. hands in it. I can be excited now. If my yes. problem was that yes. it was Lifetime, and I said, oh. Yeah, I, no, no. Because I, re- I remember the Aaliyah movie. I remember the Tony Braxton. They're Brax- probably gonna produce it. Yeah, and I remember. Then the, just put it on Lifetime. Yeah, I remember the Tony Braxton movie. I remember um, oof, the the Michelet movie. The Leah movie, though, with the skinny Timbaland and yeah. this, and the skinny Missy with no finger waves. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Go ahead. I'm sorry. You know I'm, I'm sorry, over here Amelia, doing yeah. my due diligence. You know the work of the Lord. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry <laughs> Amelia. Uh, you talk about Breaking Bad and you can't watch stuff. But like anything else you want to add to that? No. Um. <laughs> all right. Um. Next up. So, uh, California's been going through it this past week. Uh, first there was the shooting. Um. Wednesday night, Thursday morning, got the uh, Borderline Bar and Grill in Thousand Oaks, California, by uh, yet another white terrorist. Gee, you would think that white people mm. might be more the problem than any of these sort of quote-unquote illegals that you claim are the real problem in terrorizing mm-hmm. people. Um, yet another white incel who can't get a date, and so he's has to shoot people up because of that bullshit. Uh, one of the people who passed away is the niece of Tamara Maori. Because you know she married um this white man from Fox News. This is um his sibling's child who passed away in the shooting. 
And there's another complicated story. So there's a, a fire the, um, that's going across Thousand Oaks and Malibu and sort of that kind of surrounding areas over there. And it's burning down a lot of um, celebrities' homes. Like, uh, I think I'm trying to figure out who it was. Uh, yeah, Mark Hamill's house name? was in the way. Uh, a lot of people evacuated. Uh, Iggy Azalea, I saw she had to evacuate. The Kardashians had to evacuate. Um, Alyssa Milano had to evacuate. Don't nobody give a shit about Alyssa Milano. <laughs> Don't TV, fuck, fuck Alyssa Milano. How about that? Yeah. No, she's Phoebe. No. <laughs> no, fuck Alyssa Milano, anti-black ass. We gonna get yeah. anyway. Uh, since we've been on the show, Julia Roberts has also been evacuated. Yeah. Uh, Robin Thicke lost his house. Uh, Scott Derrickson, who directed Doctor Strange, lost his house. Um, some dude from some racist man from Fox Sports. Well, he probably ain't racist. He's on Fox Sports, not Fox News. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> a man from Fox Sports named Eric Winalda lost his home. Uh, Caitlyn Jenner, I think, lost her home. It's out, or at least it's in danger. Like a lot of people, because like you know, it's over. No in comment. The, that's yeah. It's <laughs> over in the rich white area where you know, like everybody moved up on them hills and stuff and everything. Um, huh. So and those, if I was there, when I get an award, I wouldn't. Go ahead. Those places that I I wouldn't so that those places that I wouldn't be I allowed would probably to see. never seen my lifetime. Yes, the places. Yes. Okay. Um, right. If I was then when I moved up into them houses, I would take all my awards and important stuff and put it in a whole another storage locker down in Inglewood. Yes, somewhere where water burn. gets to. <laughs> right. Yeah, and our Gerard Butler said he lost his house, and also the part the Paramount Ranch where they shot like westerns for decades. Where they shot scenes for for shows like Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, there's scenes for Westworld. It burned to the ground. The only thing that was left uh, was the church part of the set. <laughs> yeah, our, our retreat center that we usually go to out in Malibu is right off of the one. And they haven't told us which buildings yet, but part of their buildings has been lost as well. And mm. they are like, and it's the ones up at the top. They said everything, the businesses down at the bottom, right there on the water, have not been touched. But the ones up at the top have all been either lost or scorched. Yeah, because like y'all having a drought right now, right? In the whole state? Yeah. Well, there's a fire burning in Hollywood. I mean, of course, that's gonna get more coverage because it's in Hollywood, but there's a, a whole nother fire burning up towards Sacramento. And I don't know if y'all saw that there was a story going around about this town that had burned to the ground in just an hour and it had all these elderly people. Well, that town was Paradise, California, which has a history of running black people out. Mm. It's mm. like one of the only sundown real. I mean, there's a lot of places you don't want to get caught in the middle of uh, Central California, but Paradise was a real like sundown town, like in Louisiana, Mississippi, still, so and it burned to the ground. This so has this just become the um, the um, I'm struggling to feel bad for white folks episode <laughs> 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 because. Woo! <laughs> I'm so glad to be here. You fighting, you fighting an uphill battle, buddy. <laughs> because but you just keep on trucking on. Yeah. Go ahead. Keep gotta keep on trucking. Keep on trucking, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead on to talk about the Breakfast Club. All right. So in my Netflix adventures the other day. Well, actually, I'll start with this. So. Riverdale, season three, episode four, which aired on Wednesday, is called The Midnight Club. And what it basically is, I'll try to do this with, with as few sports as possible. So this season basically is about, uh, Carolyn knows this because she and I are probably the, are the, old, the people who are old enough to remember this. Like, you remember the uh, moral panic, Carolyn, about Dungeons and Dragons? 
I, well, being that I wasn't a Dungeon and Dragon, I was Super Mario head. I don't remember necessarily the panic, but I mean, I remember Dungeon and Dragons, yes. Right. So back in the like 80s, the whole decade from like early 80s to like 1990, literally, uh, there was this whole thing where uh, parents were concerned about Dungeons and Dragons, which of course, for y'all who don't know, is a, is a role-playing board game. There people were afraid it would draw their children into um, sat- satanic I, I worship. I remember that. And, um, and suicide because you know it's mm-hmm. all about you know demons and stuff and like not all about but you know it's you know knights and steve and magic and you know, there are demons and stuff in the game and stuff like that so it's fantasy creatures <laughs> on people right basically. right and let me ask you this before you get into the spoilers non-spoilers and um so isn't that also the premise of stranger things it it's it's a it's more so, of a texture to stranger things it's it's okay. less yeah. like a plot but there's more like they use the board game to explain some of the things that are going on in the program. Okay. Rather yeah, the than board yeah. is, is ref is used as a as a, a ref- heavy reference. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Right. So in in Riverdale, what's happening is that they have a game called Griffins and Gargoyles, and all the kids are some of the kids are playing it, and they are turning up dead from suicide. And so, mm, okay. And so Betty and Jughead, um, for those because uh, Carolyn, you know Riverdale's an Archie show, right? Yes. Yeah. So Betty and Jughead are trying to solve this mystery of why some of their friends are ending up dead from playing this game. And part of this leads to some clues that Betty finds out that her mom used to play the game back in the um in the um in the late 80s, early in the early 90s. And she's like, Mom, you never told me about this. You, my, some of my friends are dead. You never said anything about this. And so the mom finally breaks down and she tells Betty her story about when she used to play the game. And so it leads to this episode. It's all flashbacks. Where you have the actors who play Archie, Jughead, Betty, Veronica, stuff in this show, they dress them like like their parents. Who they cast? I think almost everybody who's cast as a parent of Riverdale used to be a teen star or like a young adult star. Lou Perry plays Archie's dad. Skeet Ulrich plays Jughead's dad. Uh, Majin Amick plays Betty's mother, and Marisol Nichols plays Veronica's mother. So they basically do this thing where they dress them up like the, like they used to be back in the like nineties. So you get Cole Sprouse done up like Ski Ulrich and Scream. You get um, KJ Apple done up like Luke Perry on nine hundred two one zero. He has a really good job of playing Dylan like a Dylan McKay like thing. Screenshots and I was like, wow, watch this is really after, good. Watch his acting. He did a really good job. You know, I talked shit about KJ Apple's acting on this program. He played Dylan, like a Dylan McKay type character when he's playing Fred, Fred Andrews. I was like, I was shocked. <laughs> but basically, like, they all end up in detention, like in the Breakfast Club on Saturday Detention. And so they're like, they aren't friends, but they find the board game in the teacher's um, uh, locked uh, drawer and they all start playing it together. And that's how they, and so they, that's how they get started getting closer and start finding out how everybody's parents ain't shit in their own various ways. And basically, a tragedy happens while they're playing the, um, the game. They all take like a sworn spit pack because you know it's the nineties. You know, to never speak of it again forever. <laughs> I'm, I'm white. <laughs> yeah, into adult. Well, Josie is there. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we don't spit and uh, we don't make packs like that in, in, in our community. We don't spit <laughs> on our hands and shake hands. Yeah, but yeah, they, shit's they, they make a pact and never discuss it again. That's why even as adults, they refuse <laughs> to talk about it for so long. But they do a whole lot of callbacks to the Breakfast Club, basically like um, how they're all inside of attention, like how the teacher is and everything like that, how he's like right down the hall. 
You know, they play a lot of 80s music. They even have the opening credits stuff like the Saved by the Bell opening credits instead of the regular Riverdale credits. Um, and it's a really good episode. And so it inspired me to watch The Breakfast Club, which like having me browsing Netflix, saw it was on there. And I'm like, well, I have never actually seen this movie. And not only It's better be the part where you explain. Yes. And not only Riverdale would have referenced it, but when Gronish was coming out, they did a whole lot of promos that were based on the Breakfast Club. And when Spider-Man Homecoming was coming out, they did the same. And I remember being watching those pros and being confused. And I was like, why have I never seen this? And I realized, oh, it's rated R. So, which was why I might have seen it in some sort of edited form, perhaps, but I don't remember it. And I've certainly never seen it as an R because I, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. And so I didn't watch too many R-rated pictures until I was like, and you didn't have cable. And I, no, we had cable. We definitely had cable. So it didn't show up on the on the on networks? HBO. By the time I mean, by the time I was watching Ari Blues on HBO, they weren't showing the Breakfast Club regularly anymore. They were, they yeah. were it was like at four a.m. So I True. I just never got around to seeing it. And so when it was on Netflix, I decided to sit down and watch it. And you know, because you know, for those who don't know, you know, it's a classic John Hughes movie. One considered, I think it's is it considered his masterpiece. I know. I think that uh, Pretty in Pink, not Pretty in Pink, Sixteen Candles, considered his masterpiece. Okay, because I, I know it's like like um. I guess you could say they both are. Because I know people have. I saw people were going back and forth over which one was the more famous one. Yeah, I mean, they they you have a, a couple of different things happening, and I I learned this from reading R- Molly Ringwald's Me Too article about the Breakfast Club. Um, <laughs> so he wrote the original before he even got to direct it. He wrote the original stories that inspired one of my favorite 80s uh, series, which is the National Lampoon series. But he didn't write the scripts or direct them. Right. So when he first started directing, he did The Breakfast Club, and it was the first teen angst or teen film that wasn't like, what do we want to say, garish or like, you know, just teen boys. I mean, they in, in his films, they were definitely still nasty teen boys doing rapey things. They talked about that. But we had movies like Porky's and stuff. That was all the movies was about. And Animal so House, it was the, yeah. Yeah, it was the first one that actually at least tried to have rounded out teen characters. And then you get to, I think she said that he wrote um, 16 Candles around. No, he wrote Pity and Pink specifically for her. And then they did 16 Candles, I think. Yeah. But I think 16 Candles is the one that's considered, aside from being the first teen film, 16 Candles is the one that's considered having the most cultural impact. Right. Yeah, I think he's because he says apparently he wrote like at least the treatment for a Breakfast Club before he did Sixteen Candles. They mm. wouldn't let him make this one because it's not a traditional film because like it all takes place in one location. There's not a whole lot of quote unquote action. It's a character study. So yeah. it's, it's these five teenagers: um, John Bender played by Judd Nelson, Claire Standish played by Molly Ringwald, Andy Clark played a- Andrew Clark played by Mila Estevez. Brian Johnson, played by Anthony Michael Hall, who plays the principal in the Riverdale episode, by the way. Mm. And Molly Ringwald is not in the episode, but she plays Archie's mom on the show whenever she shows yes. up. Um, which, and, is just, which is just, like, perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's creepy and perfect at the same time. Yeah, and Allison Reynolds, who's, like, quote-unquote, the weird one, is played by Ali um, Sheedy. And they um, have started attention for all sorts of various reasons. So they have to sit there in, in the library 
and try to like be quote unquote quiet for nine hours, which you cannot ask any child ever to do. And I so, can't ask my kids to be quiet for 45 minutes. So <laughs> I can't be quiet for 15 minutes and do their damn do now. Anyway, go ahead. Right. And so instead of being quiet, of course, you sort of kind of learn more about each character as it goes on. Of course, you learn a lot about uh, John Bender because Judd Nelson is basically running around and being a complete problem, you know, He's doing, he like, I'm sure Maringo talked about how he basically sexually assaults her for most of the movie, and then they end up together at the end. Yes, yeah, she, I don't know if you read the article, but it's really, it starts off with her. She was doing a retrospective for the anniversary of The Breakfast Club, of, and she sat down to watch it with her 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. And and she talked about how she didn't want to at first because the girl was only 10, and one of her movie friends, you know, told her, you know, kids that are 10 tend to filter out certain things that they don't understand, mm-hmm. but how she still had to figure out how to navigate that one scene where he puts his head in her crotch. Yes. Like, yeah. Like, it's one scene where he hides under the table from the principal and he, like, sees that, like, under her dress and starts, like, putting his head up, like, uh, underneath her dress. And I was like, I was watching, like, oh, crap, this is definitely the 80s, because... Yeah. Well, she talks about how... It's so funny when you watch a lot of these retrospectives, and, and she addresses how... She don't want to ever feel like she saw this in the moment. It's all in hindsight. And I see see the same thing with um who directed the first National Lampoons? Um, what's the name that also did Ghostbusters? Hale Ramis. Yeah. When he talked about the racism in the first National Lampoons, and she talks about how, you know, how she had to grapple, especially now that John Hughes is dead, had to grapple with how problematic a lot of his like most of his writing was problematic. All of his male characters were problematic characters. Um, you know, all of the, the the movies had basically rape in them. She talked about how she had to sit down with the girl who played Caroline in Sixteen Candles, and she didn't see her character as as having been date raped or gang raped was what she basically was. And that even when she did figure it out later, she still kind of excused it. So it's really about a, a lot of what we have to do now is grappling with how terrible a lot of the stuff that we watched in the eighties were. Yeah. Like, but like, I'm. I feel like in watching, I can see though the movie, like how it inspired how teen dramas get written after mm-hmm. the Breakfast Club, and as far as they try to do a better job of rounding out teenage characters, because before that, you know, you had your Animal House and your Porky's. Even before that, you had basically like your Archie and your Dobie Gillis, where it's just about mm-hmm. the boys girl boys go crazy. The girls are just there as props, um, and they're, they're still they're not. Like um, Claire and Allison aren't necessarily props in the movie, but they still sort of kind of fall into tropes. It makes it very clear that a, a heterosexual wrote dude wrote this movie mm-hmm. because it's like, how do you have Allison become like, like, be like more quote unquote better adaptable to the group? Have Claire give her a makeover? Now right. she's pretty. Uh-huh. Or how, you know, after that whole sexual assault, when he basically puts his head in her crotch and she he does something because she reacts to it yeah. before she she gives him in the head. And then at the end, they end up like together in a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, how? <laughs> um, but like, um, that's, I guess, the bad. Like, the good about it is that, like, I do appreciate how I like movies that are so kind of quiet movies that take place in one area where you put the characters together and find out more about each character through the dialogue and stuff. So you basically find out that most of them come from broken homes, basically, mm-hmm. in particular, um, Bender and Andy, who basically breaks down, you know, because he's in a wrestling team. And his dad is only really concerned about basically 
him and his coach, the dad and the coach are basically only concerned about sort of kind of his status as basically like the racehorse of the family, basically. And, you know, train, get better and better and faster and faster. He said he wished his knee would give out so he could stop wrestling. He hates it that much. He doesn't, yeah, he hates the pressure. Yeah, even... Even as a teacher watching the way that... What's the name of the teacher? I don't even remember what his name is. Um, but oh gosh, nobody cares. Um, the principal, <laughs> uh, assistant principal Vernon. Right. And even seeing the scene where he hems up the bad boy in the closet and like yeah. really like goes after him. I mean, that resonates a lot as we're having a lot of conversations about, you know, dealing with children and, and aggressive and fighting and stuff with children. And also, I mean, I tell you all the time, I am the mean black teacher. You know, and I I definitely am an in-your-face teacher, but it makes you remember that even if you are going to be the in-your... You have to be a Joe Clark if you're going to be an in-your-face teacher. Joe Clark gave you this, the bitter with the sweet. And right. this dude, like, was just basically in his face, clearly triggering him. Like, you see it in his face, he's triggered, and then dares him to fight him. Yep. Like, that's not the teacher that you want to be. So, I mean, I I saw the, the Breakfast Club when I was little, and of course, being little, it, it was didn't have, have enough action. Um, watching it more as an adult and being able to see more of the characters and understand it's a character study is very interesting to watch it because you now that you understand it's a character study but you're in this particular social climate that we're in right now you still kind of be like eh shut the fuck up but at the same time at the same time I, I mean as a writer I did appreciate you know the ways that they you know brought out these characters in their stories it's just kind of like how you said the way that they kind of ended them or put them together was real cheesy and real, you know, not responsible, but it was the 80s. Right. My favorite characters, of course, were like, I really, I think Alice was my favorite character because she's out there, boy. And I love it how out there she is. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, and she's, I wish you uh, like, your name is Brian, um, Brian Johnson. You're five foot nine and a half. Your social security number is zero, three, eight, one, two, whatever, whatever, whatever. He's like, how you know all that? I stole your wallet. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's just, I, 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 it's just crazy. I was glad that she wrote this article. Mm-hmm. And the, the retrospective that I saw from Harold Ramis was, well, it was actually the NDVD extras on the original National Lampoons. And he talked specifically about, um, there's a scene where the family gets off the freeway in St. Louis and they get lost in, quote unquote, the ghetto. Mm. And he talked about all the type of racist symbols that they gave off to let you know that they were in the ghetto, like how they changed the music to that, you know, stereotypical 80s, wah-wah, wah-wah blues, and they have pimps on the corners and meat codes and just like everything about it and how racist it was. I mean, it's interesting to watch all these directors and writers have these these hindsight reactions, but then it, it also kind of makes you think about the ones who don't have that kind of reaction and what is it that they're really thinking and feeling about those narratives? Yes. Yeah. Like, I'm going to read um, her article now My reading while I didn't read it before because I knew I hadn't seen the movie yet and I knew I'll probably <laughs> see it soon. And like, both, I, I remember it's funny because you judged me for it and Ali judged me for it too. It's like, so, Ali, when did you see The Breakfast Club? Wow. Um, so, so here's the thing. So, on, on, I think we we always we talk this like to death all the time, but because of the circumstances behind how TV works at the time back home when I was a kid, like all that stuff like ratings and filters and whatnot, it's it was all very 
it, it was not a big deal. Like how Brandon's like, well, it was rated R movie, so I couldn't watch it or whatever, whatever. The it, TV was like one of those things where it's like, because it, I guess maybe because it hit so late that the way TV was controlled back home was still in its infant stages, right? So it's just a free-for-all. Like you'd be in a family room and everyone's watching something and nobody would care about the fact that there's a kid watching an R-rated movie, right? Mm. It'd just be, oh, it's a, you know, you're here and whatever. And and so it, it could work in the child's favor sometimes and it could work to the detriment. For example, you know, you probably don't want to show your, your, your four-year-old child Chucky. <laughs> you know. But anyway, so I saw it just because it, it just happened to be on TV and older people were watching it, right? And so I watched it too. And the funny thing is, of course, I was a kid, so I didn't get the fact that this was going to be one of those movies where it would just get a reference to Helen back in every other thing that I watch on TV as I'm growing up. Because it does. Yes, it does. It shows up everywhere. I mean, it's it's crazy. The last time I saw, a, a, it, it even shows up on cartoon references. Yeah, like yeah, like the like um, what was that Disney show? Um, uh, uh, uh Gravity Falls. Mm. That cartoon, <laughs> uh, Gravity Falls. There was a whole episode, and there not not a whole episode for it, but there was an episode where there was a scene where one of the girls and her her pet pig, they are literally recreating the dance scene. Yeah, um, where they're on, where where they're where everyone's like you know dancing around and they're on the bookshelf and they're doing a little the, the sort of a the, the stomp and whatever and it's like little kids watching this on Disney Channel they don't know what this is they don't know this yeah, reference that's that's the gift I've always seen for this movie of Mario who are dancing on the bookshelf and yeah. then so I saw yeah. that scene of course now finally and then I saw them all smoking yeah. weed in the library I saw yeah. Judd Nelson destroying literature. <laughs> The library and the card catalog. Yeah. <laughs> and now you get it. Yeah, now get you it. see all those things. And now when you whenever you see certain um scenes in movies, you understand, or you see something in a in a in a in a TV show, like you understand because like I said, it's been everybody knows of that movie and everybody likes um like sneak it into their media. So that way, right. older people can go, ha, 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 I know what this is about. <laughs> you young kids won't know what this is. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and then, of course, that's where the song, Don't You Forget About Me by uh, Simple Minds comes from. You know, I heard that song a bunch of times. didn't know it was for the movie. Like, uh, and then, of course, you know, the funny thing is the movie ends with the real cheese thing. He's on the football field. Uh, Judd Nelson, he, like, they freeze frame him, but he puts his hand up in the air. With the one fist, oh, yeah. and then they run the credits. I'm like, this is the most 80s ending I've ever seen. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, but it's on Netflix. The the uh, the print looks very nice. It's definitely been restored and stuff, and cleaned up a little bit. You know, I don't know if they they did like a 5.1 on the sound, but the sound sounded nice. Just still had that like that 80s clip dialogue sound. I don't know what kind of microphones they used back then, but it's like. Anything maybe between like 1972 and 1988, I guess it is. They have that certain sound to them. That like crispy sort of like peaky sort of like um, real sharp like dialogue sound to them. That sort of kind of defines those movies. Um, Yeah. But yeah, like I enjoyed it. It's not a single black person in anywhere. It's not a single person of color, period. Everybody white. Everybody's white. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I think that's the other thing. When it would have come out, I would have lived in Louisiana, which is weird because there's so many black people there, but it just still feels so clean and white, just like in, you know, John Hughes movies. Mm-hmm. But also it shows how important and but important, but weird. And how important movies like Juice and then later on The Wood were because there were no teen movies about African American kids. And it did it took for like hip hop to grow blow up to get one. And then even when we did, it was Juice, which was a murder heist. Yeah. Not a murder heist. Well, yeah, pretty is a murder heist. And that's all we had until the wood came out. And then well, Carlin, we weren't invented back then. Oh, oh you're right. <laughs> remember. I forgot. And so, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't understand. In, in in the Christmas story, there was one little black kid in the 50s in the, in the classroom, so... The 30s. Christmas story takes place in 1939. Oh, on the 30s? Oh, okay. You know. <laughs> we were still segregated, but I mean, we was there. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he's all the way at the back. Yeah, well, I guess it, I guess they were following the little rascals model where segregation didn't exist in didn't this sort of exist. kind of it fantasy never world. Happened. Yeah. <laughs> So I remember reading that, speaking of that, that little rascal school set that he had, you know, because they're children, they still had a lot to go to school, was the first integrated school in the country. I don't know how true that is, because, I mean, it started in like yeah. 21, 22, so it's possible, but that would be interesting well, if they could yeah, I mean, that. if it was in 21, 22, and segregation didn't get broken until Brown versus Board of Education, yeah, well, probably well, was. Well, like, I'm sure then, because in the North, schools weren't segregated, or at least not as much. Like, black and white children went to school together, like, you know, in, like, New York and New Jersey and stuff, and probably Ohio, stuff like that. Like, most segregation was, like, the further you get south, the more stringent it becomes. And The segregation, yeah, right. Yeah, to the point where, like I said before about the James Brown thing, like, certain parts of, like, Georgia didn't desegregate until the 70s. Right, you know, Long yeah. after that Brown, because the Brown v. Board thing happened, it was passed, and white folks said, huh, you thought... And they kept, that's what it was, was the white, that's the white man, um, Bull Connor, who stood in front of the school when they were trying to take yeah, it. Yeah, that was the whole thing about the, uh, the Central Park, uh, not Central Park. Little Rock, the Little Rock Little Nine. Rock, yeah, the Little Rock Nine and all of them, yeah. And Ruby Bridges, yeah. Yep. Um, might not have been Bull Connor, I think it was George Wallace. One, but Both of them were problems. I'm not sure which one stood in front of the goddamn school and wouldn't let the children inside, but one of them did. Um, it was it was either him or George Wallace, but the yeah. question I have is like, why in all forms of art do we have to suffer through white angst before we can finally get some POC stories? Like, that's kind of how yeah. we, when we had these conversations about literature. We didn't been taught to read or, or believe that white angst is great for a hundred years. Now we can get us some books about colored folks. What is that all about? That's about oh, well. lack of access by Black creators to sort of kind of the money and the means to make studio movies like The Breakfast Club, which is produced by Universal, which is still and was back then a big studio that, you know, mm. like they they stopped making Black movies after they made The Wiz. Because the, yeah. the Wiz lost them a whole lot of money. Like, I don't think Universal touched shit that was Black until The Night Professor. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I, to look, I have to look through their uh, release schedule, but I'm fairly certain they didn't release shit that started a black that started more than three black people in it until um, the hey, professor. <laughs> please, please look that up because I want to know. Uh, I, I'm gonna look through the list of Universal movies that were released between 1978 and 1996 to see if there's any other ones. But yeah, I'm fairly certain you, that's correct. You know, Something it's crazy how you guys are talking about it, and it's so true that there are a number of black 
there are a number of no, so there are a number of wide shot um, movie genres that have been existing for so long that the moment you mention that genre, you immediately think of a white movie. Yeah, and you never think of the black version of it. Look how long a good example is. Um, Issa Rae's Insecure. Yes, isn't that crazy? That how how come we had to wait until two years ago to get an awkward black woman just being just being awkward, crazy, and just just being awkward. And that's and that is it. That's it. There's nothing else about it. Just, she and her awkward, crazy life. Just her being. Just, just bananas, it's right? Not her, it's not her taking out, you know, racism. It's not about her struggle nope. with trying to find a man. It's just, well, actually, it kind of is. It's but still. Not, she's not dodging bullets. It's about her struggle she's with not trying to get away in the, from, in the streets. from, like, bad relationships, basically, is what it's really yeah. about. About her trying Which to find herself. She's not, she's not trying to dodge bullets in the mean streets of... of <laughs> <laughs> See, now well, you feel, yeah, feel bad, because, like, I got, I have a story that I'm debating about it, because I, I feel like I need address racism a minute I could have so many things to say about white people racist white people acting a fool but I feel what y'all are saying too is I would love to see a movie where black people just had fun yeah. <laughs> well yeah I said that, I said that a, a couple of months ago I said can y'all please rec- recommend a, a cool black movie for me that is not about some black woman either trying to get over a man or trying to find a man or them trying to, to build a relationship because I don't want I don't want to see no black love movie I don't want to see no drama people trying to get off drugs I don't want to see nobody trying to battle through homophobia or, or <laughs> battle through sexual just being regular people Dude, I'm so I just want black people to just black in peace. Can I get that? Can I just get that? Can black people black in peace? Yeah. I'm I'm trying to think. The funny thing is, you know where my mind goes immediately? And y'all it's gonna be funny. Tyler Perry pictures. Yep. They kind of as not well, good no, as they are, nobody, they black in peace. <laughs> they are black in peace. I mean, even though usually the 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 plot is around something having to do with some black love, the, but you're right, they black in peace. That's right. true. But remember, <laughs> I said that. Remember, didn't I say that about his movie? I said they ain't good, but they serve a function. They serve a function. They serve an audience. They, and the, and the audience has been looking for, and is still looking for. Like I just, I don't want. You know, I'm not trying me, to deal with love right now. Yeah. I ain't trying to deal with death and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Maybe coming so to America. Always. Maybe the neighbor faster stuff. Maybe like the Eddie Murphy movies that nobody likes, like the really goofy ones from like the late nineties, early two thousands. Like, but um, you know what? That's what. Um, that's what when Ice Cube and when they talk about Friday, that was the whole premise behind Friday. Was just to make a movie about the hood that wasn't about tragedies in the hood. Right. That was just about fun and stuff. Just like, fun. Like, yeah. And the biggest tragedy yeah. is basically it's just the neighborhood bully who's in every movie like that. You know. Right. Yeah, but what I'm I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting patiently for for the time when I can just you know go to see a movie about it not being about us having to to the struggle for things. Every time our Oscar or Oscar nominated movies are always the ones. Oh, yeah. wait, wait, wait till we're January. We're in pain when we're, you know, we have to go through the struggle and then the, the, the lead actor, he has to make a, a monologue speech about how his, how he has to overcome. La- lady, well, ladies, well, and gen- like, ladies and gentlemen <sighs> in the audience, a preview for January 2019 for the Nice Podcast. We are doing a whole episode about the Oscar bait films from twenty for the 2018, uh, 2019 award season because because all of them are about racism. All of them. Every single last one. 
Like, <laughs> listen, mind you, they're eat, most of them are individually good and they're all right, but for some reason, they're all about racism. They're always about racism. Black, blind spotted, you know black Klansman, green, green, um, green book, the hate you give, uh, Black Panther. Uh, what else that came out this year? Um, no. if, if Beale Street could talk, they all about racism. <laughs> it's, no. it's all about racism. It's always thing, about though. struggle. I will say this though. Here's me playing devil's advocate. If we do get those kinds of movies where black people are just just being regular civilians and going about their lives, and we just see just the domestic issues and the things that, that give us drama and intrigue in a story. It might give non-Black people an excuse to know, to basically to justify them going, well, why do you guys always have to bring up, bring up the past and about racism? No, and, well, they'll, and they'll to never justify be them. They'll never to, be It will that. never. I'm, I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying... This is what they're going to use as well. Well, you guys have all this stuff now. I mean, well, it's my, really rebut- problem. My, my, my rebuttal is that we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We have we have the right and black people are worth having conversations about struggle and, and highlighting oppression, but then also being able to, as you say, black in peace. Like we just want some fucking peace, but we need you to know why we ain't got no fucking peace too. Right. And I, I yeah, I, and I totally agree with that. I just... I just know that there's just it's like Wait, just, you can't never I, stop I just fighting. Win. fighting. Right. I just I just want to win, Carolyn. You know, like I just. But you know what, Ali? You can't you can't <laughs> stop white people from whiting. They gonna white no matter what. Right. All right. So I have retraction. So I'm looking through the universal um, release schedule between set between release of the Wiz and okay. the Professor Part One. Um, I forgot Spike Lee made um, Do the Right Thing and Mo Better Blues. I don't know if they have the copyright for it, but. They released both of those, and they also released the Ghost Dad, which stars, you know, um, the convicted huh. ra- um, rapist. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so the, it, those are the only three. Though there's a whole lot of goddamn movies on this list <laughs> that we just didn't know was Universal because they hid it under the radar. No, 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 I'm saying there's a whole lot of pictures from Universal, but that were made that there's a whole lot of white shits. What I'm saying, but oh. it's only those three movies. My, I'm seeing there's a fourth coming up at all. I'm already at 91. And seeing American Tale Part Two and Stop of My Mom Will Shoot from '92, <laughs> Death Becomes. All these movies that came out when I was a kid, I was like, "Oh, I'm never seeing that. Oh, I'm never seeing that." Uh, do we count Cop and a Half? No, that's a Burt Reynolds movie. That's, that ain't nothing but another white people saving a little black boy movie. Nope. Nope, nope, no. Uh, and you know what's interesting? We talk about how we got to struggle and stuff for it to be accepted. Yeah. Then the one time we do get an amazing Academy Award winning uh, presentation of struggle, you don't even give us a fucking award. Nope. Do we count the Denzel Little Rascals the movie? Everybody even got shafted. Yeah. Do we count the Little Rascals the movie? No. Okay. Uh, so we're still on three. Uh, let's see. In order to be white driven and still count, it's got to be something like Vampire in Brooklyn that was black but directed by a white man. All right, okay. I think mm. we are all way to 96. I don't see anything else. Hey, Professor, there it is. So those three do the right thing, Mo Better Blues, and Ghost of Dad. So what did Spike Lee do after Mo Better Blues when he started with uh, Malcolm X? That... Malcolm X for Warner Brothers. No, but I mean, who distributed that? Warner Brothers. Oh, okay, okay. They had okay. they bought the rights back in the seventies. Gotcha. Understand now. Yeah. 
Because I do remember watching Mo Better Blues when you got Wait. Flavor Flav doing a title card with the Universal uh, did Crooklyn Universal re- logo. Did, you did, did Universal release Crooklyn? They did. Okay, so Crooklyn is the Universal picture, too. It's from 94. Okay. All right. I, and Clockers. Okay, so Spike Lee, four Spike Lee movies and Ghost Dad. Uh, <laughs> so they like we did Spike Lee. We we did we did our black. Right. Because <laughs> I remember now after I said that because uh, Mo Better Blues, Crooklyn, Clockers, and Do the Right Thing all come in the same box set because they're all Universal Pictures. So well, who was doing? I know this is a lot of work that you can't do while on the show. Who did all you know all the classic '90s hip hop movies, going all the way from Strictly Business to Juice to Men's Society, The Boys in the Hood? Who was all of them? Um, or they were just all different people. Oh, and one other thing I did want to say, I don't know, does it do we count Richard Pl- Richard Pryor pictures as well? It depends which ones. Uh Bustin' Loose and Brewster's Millions. Yeah. Okay, so those two are also because those are in the 80s. So though and mind you, I went through about 200 or 300 movies that were made during the 80s and early 90s to get to those seven. <laughs> 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 you can't get seven movies, niggas. Be happy. I'm, but yeah, I'm, we, we, should, we all need to blame Barry Gordy and his high-minded uh, opinions. Oh no, no, Barry school. Gordy's not to blame. Barry Gordy said, "I do not want Diana Ross starring in this movie." Universal said, "Hey, Barry Gordy, we'll give you money. You put her in it." Barry Gordy said, "Okay." But didn't <laughs> didn't they say that Barry or somebody, either him or Sidney Lumet, went way over budget? Oh uh, no, the movie, yeah, Sidney Lumet went, went way. Well, Barry was the producer, Sidney Lumet was the director. Between the two of them, they went way over budget. But there was some shit. It was some part of that was because of natural disasters. There was like a big windstorm at the um, World Trade Center, which is where they filmed You Gotta Be Seen in Green. And so the sets were destroyed. had to be really? rebuilt. Really? Yes. Now I'm mourning. I mean, I already mourned the World Trade But now I really mourn it. Yeah, like the uh, World Trade Center Plaza is where they shot those scenes. Um, but yeah, like it was a whole bunch of things, like the whole Diana Ross stuff and her being her and what's the man's name? Joel Schumacher, who wrote the script. Mm-hmm. You know Joel Schumacher, right. Ali. He bit um I, 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 Ali, you know who he is, right? I know Carolyn yes, knows who he is. Yeah. He made Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. Um, nerds hate him forever. <laughs> uh, but he wrote the Wiz because he back then he was the top black writer in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> But he had just yeah. got into this shit called S, which was back then like the big scam sort of kind of like uh, free thinking, uh, what do you call it, um, spiritual exercise everybody was doing. So him and Diana Ross were trying to insert all of their teachers into the script and they're changing the script around at the same time they were shooting the movie and stuff. And well, and, and Quincy Jones hated hated the music. And it's a big mess. Y'all know how I feel about The Wiz, the movie. I wish they, I, I was really happy they did The Wiz live. I mean, they did a lot better job fucking live when they did film, but you know, um, that's that. But the hip hop movies from like the late 80s, early 90s, they're basically scattered around the other studios, like the small, like, a lot of them are new line, like House Party is all new line cinema stuff. Right, right. I remember that one. Um, I think Ju- Juice is a Paramount picture. Um, and House Party is a good movie about black people just blacking. Yes, it is. In peace. Yes, it is. Because don't don't shit happen in House Party or oh, House Party too that involves racism. Really, well, I think I think it might be a joke or something here or there or like a reference and stuff. But for the most part, like I and I think Reggie Hudlin said this. He wanted to make a like the black version of a Frankie Avalon movie from the sixties. Yeah, where they're yep. just teenagers having fun. Having fun. Uh, mm. But yeah, a lot of movies are scattered about the other studios. Like um, the big studios didn't touch them that often. Uh, class Act is a Warner Brothers picture, so that's like a big studio. And you see how they do Class Act. 
Yeah, class act. I, I have been waiting class for. Class act is one of them movies that I watched it consistently as a child, but yes. I also knew how bad it was. Yes, but like, um, <laughs> they would not release that movie on DVD for decades. They, I think, they finally did it like a couple of years ago. Because uh, I really, I really wanted to buy it for a very long time, and it, that that just never could because they wouldn't release it. All right, class act to, with uh, Hillary. <laughs> With B and B singing the theme song. Yes. Well, you got B and B from East Oakland singing the theme song. <laughs> hey, side note. So yesterday I was looking on on uh, YouTube just randomly. I meant to post this on Facebook, mm-hmm. and I ran up on the MC Hammer story. I forgot about that movie. That movie was shit. Oh, Romney, what's his name? Romney, Romney Malcolm. MC Hammer. Yeah, <laughs> playing MC Hammer. Aww. Oh, jeez. Anything else about the Preppers Club before we move on at all? All right. So the other big thing, of course, this week. Um, so Disney Plus is coming. They, they used to be called Disney Play. Now it's Disney Plus. This is Disney's own version of Netflix, their own streaming service where all of their films, well, not all of them, all of their Disney, Marvel, and Pixar, and Lucasfilm branded films and TV shows will be going by late 2019. They had, I think, a earnings conference call last week with Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, where he announced the new name and put out like the logo, basically. And so, you know, for those who don't know, they are also producing a bunch of original uh, material for this streaming service to entice everybody to buy it. Because, you know, the whole thing of, you know, people are going, a lot of people are going to get it anyway because they have all the Disney and Marvel movies and stuff. But just to sweeten the pot, we talked last week about they're making a um, Falcon and War and uh, not War Machine Falcon and Winter Soldier TV show that Malcolm Spellman was going to write. They're also making um, a Loki miniseries that Tom Hiddleston is going to star in. They haven't started production on that yet, but you know it was a rumor for a while. And now it's confirmed it's actually going to happen. They're also going to be producing a Star Wars prequel series to uh, Star Wars Rogue One which will star Diego Luna as his character from that movie. So people were joking, so it's a prequel of a prequel. <laughs> um, but I saw a lot of people that, that were really excited for that. Ali, I know you like Star Wars. Like You're a bigger Star Wars head than I am. Do you? Are you going to enjoy seeing um, Diego Luna reprise his role of, what's that man's name he played? Uh, um, I forgot. Cassian I forgot Andor. The, yeah, I forgot the, yeah, Cassian. Um, I'm not as big of a fan of Star Wars um, as, you know, I mean, you say, yes, I am more into this than probably you, yeah. but not as much as the diehard fans out there. It's neither here nor there. There's nothing that's shown up so far on Disney Plus that I am um, particularly like, just like absolutely bonkers Over for the moon. just yet. Okay. Yeah, like that whole thing about Loki, like it's one of those things where it's like, okay, we get it. Yeah, Tom Hiddleston is his, his character is pretty cool, but every like it, I want new. I don't want to stop trying to milk, stop trying to 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 beat something, you know, into a pulp until it doesn't squeeze out any more orange juice. Like it's really pissing me off. Well, I'm sorry, just, Ali, but there's more. Yeah. Um, prepare oh, yourself. Um, in addition, they will be making a High School Musical TV show. Is, see, is see, Amelia, see is Amelia I mean? still on? Did she have to drop off? I think she dropped off. Uh, yeah, she's out on here. Oh, okay. But yeah, um, I was like waiting for her reaction. High School Musical, the TV show is coming. They started casting the kids, so they're in production on that now. 
We already talked about they're making the Lady and the Tramp remake with Tessa Thompson playing uh, the voice of Lady and Janelle Monet playing the voice of um, Peg, the um, the dog that that Lady meets in the um, dog pound who sings the He's a Tramp song. Okay. Yeah, I remember that movie, right? You remember the song, right? He's yes. a, he's a yes. tramp. Imagine Janelle Monet doing that as a dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a live action That's remake be- too, so like it's not it's there'd be animated CGI dogs. Um, okay, they're also remaking the Star in the Stone, okay. which is my least favorite Disney film. So. Remake all you want to. I have no... Um... Wait a second. <laughs> Why do you hate the sword in the stone? It's boring. <gasps> <laughs> People had the same guess myself on like the um the Jungle Book. It's boring. I read the, the actual Jungle Book. That movie ain't shit. <laughs> I don't care about that. I like the idea. So um, the sword in the stone is the first time I've... I've I remember... As a kid, the first um, when I saw Sword in the Stone, that was my first introduction to magic in uh. a cartoon, and so that's why it's like special for me because the whole scene of him meeting Merlin and Merlin basically turning the both of them into into birds and then like and then fish, learning right? how to fly, and then he turned them into squirrels. <laughs> and then he turned him into a fish. <laughs> and it was so, it just looked so cool to me at the time that I, that's, and, and the um, Merlin versus the, the witch in the forest. Madam Mim. Uh, Madam Mim. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, that whole shit is just, it is bananas and I love it. It's, it's hilarious to me. But right. I guess I understand, I, I suppose I see what you mean in terms of the boringness. Like it wasn't really, it wasn't really a movie that's like groundbreaking in terms of it's not going to have any kind of emotional impact besides just ah look at the pretty colors look at the pretty magic yeah okay so I don't understand right and also there's some Christmas picture starring Anna Kendrick that's coming I forgot what it's called I'm about to pull up right now and tell you what it is um, is it a remake or something uh, she played I think she plays like uh, female Santa Claus stop what the heck was she in Pitch Perfect? <laughs> that wasn't me. No, it was me. Because, it, like, it's played over by speaker for some fucking reason. But apparently... It's not going for your, your headphones? That's weird. Yeah, like, it's weird. Because it's supposed to I put, I put everything through the headphones. I don't know what that's about. But uh, some picture where, she, where it's like a Christmas movie where she plays, like, Santa Claus, something like that. I'm about to try to figure out what it's called right quick. Uh, Noel. Yeah, Noel Claus, where... She is Santa Claus's daughter, so I guess okay. she has to save Christmas. Like was, as 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 every clause has to do. Right. I think it was supposed <laughs> to be like a like a Disney like feature, like in the theaters at some point, and they decided to put it on the streaming service instead. So I don't have much hope for it, like um, in that respect. But we'll see. Maybe it'll be good. Yeah, no, they, they, they they were supposed to come out. Uh, I guess. Next year in the theater, and they in early this year they decided no, it was put on the streaming service instead. Well, I mean, it probably will, it it'll never be the best Christmas movie ever, which is Die Hard. 
Okay. Well, I mean, but to be fair, movie about a white man blowing himself up repeatedly is a gift that keeps on giving. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. I don't care what anybody says. That's the best Christmas movie ever. <laughs> right. Better than Lethal Weapon? Come on. No. It's not. Nope. Okay. Nope. Well, nope. And nope. Right. And so. And nothing. Don't nothing beat them. Uh, whatever that that smash into the house with the with the uh, the the Christmas tree and shit. And they had to put their house back together and shit. Don't nothing beat that. Right. Um. Interesting sidebar. Um. The new um Grinch movie actually made money. Sixty-six million dollars opening weekend. Uh, Everybody I know with kids went to see it. Uh, I, I don't know if it'd be reviewed in this program. I'm, I'm about tired of remaking the goddamn Grinch. Short for but how many, that's what I'm saying. How many times can you remake the Grinch? I don't know. Oh, it's, like, it's crazy. <laughs> oh, this is like the fourth iteration, isn't it? The book has like thirty-six pages. <laughs> now, unless you're gonna take it from the point of view like that meme that said, "To be fair, the Grinch didn't hate Christmas; he just hated people." That's a, that's a big difference. Let's <laughs> go take it from that perspective. He was sick of y'all goddamn hoods. Right. That's what he was sick of. Lord, uh, and so it. As part of, you know, the whole Disney Plus thing coming, you know, this is also connected to Disney buying uh, Fox, the well, the studio and the uh, the cable networks from Fox. Fox will keep Fox News and Fox Broadcasting and Fox Sports, the main Fox Sports station. They just got clearance in the European Union for the merger, except there's one clause. They have to sell uh, their stakes in A&E networks overseas to get approval for the merger. A&E Networks, of course, they own, besides A&E, they own, um, well, not just A&E in general, but the specific networks, History Channel, History History 2, Crime and Investigation, Blaze, and Lifetime. Oh. So, I in their American uh, shares in those networks, it's not affected. They own 50% of each one. But overseas, they have to sell, I guess, everything to Hearst, who owns the other half of each one. The Hearst Corporation that runs, like, the uh, newspaper syndicates and stuff. Okay. So, yeah. Um, and in addition to that, so in America, they're being required to sell off the regional Fox Sports networks. Like, you know, like they had like Fox South and Fox North and Fox East and Fox West that they show certain uh, networks on each of those. Like certain games, I mean. And you buy them in part as part of your like package for your cable. So... Who will buy those? Apparently, it's going to be uh, one James Todd Smith and one um, O'Shea Jackson Sr. Who they're joining up with a billionaire uh, couple named um, Carolyn, um, Carolyn um, Rafelane and, and her... Um, wait, no, no. Yeah, uh, Alex and Carolyn um, Raphaelian. That's the name. Uh, <laughs> and they are going to try to buy the regional Fox uh, sports networks. They'll probably rebrand them. But, like, the cost is probably going to be, like, somewhere between $15 and $25 billion. So, of course, you know, neither LL Cool J nor Ice Cube has that. So they got to, they'll put something on it, though. <laughs> but that would be a really good thing for them to be a part of, you know, 
Like, um, hopefully, you know, there's like, there won't be the conspiracy where like, but Bill Cosby's trying to buy NBC. They take them down or anything kind of foolishness like that. Now, I'm pretty sure I would be surprised if anything happened with Q, but LL, <clears throat> we'll see. Um, I'll just be quiet about that. But, um, <laughs> you know, congratulations to them if that actually all goes through. You know, black people have been playing all these, been dominating all these sports for a very long time, but not earning any of the real money behind the sports. So hopefully they'll be able to earn a little bit of it. That would be ideal. Uh, and one last story I forgot that somehow I copied and pasted to the wrong section. Uh, so uh, when Ali, because Ali came over Wednesday because like he didn't want to drive home because he had bread. Listen. And so he needed some time for, 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 for the bread to settle so he could uh, stay awake in the car. And so I provided him like a like a pit stop, like on the video game where you know you where you are um, racing and you go off to the pit stop. It's you a play safe like, point. Yeah, safe sa- checkpoint. <laughs> Cruising USA. Oh, <laughs> um, and I think I showed you a little bit of Johnny Quest, didn't I? While you were here? Yes. Yes. And you remarked, do you remember what you said about Johnny Quest? About how they can't remake it because it's too racist. All the shit about Haji and Dr. Zen and all the bad guys and stuff. You remember that? You said yes. that? Well, God yes. decided to try your patience. Uh, Warner Brothers has just announced that Chris McKay, the man who directed the Lego Batman movie, who's supposed to do the Nightwing movie for DC Comics, well, the DC brand of WB, because as we all know, DC don't make them damn movies. Um, he has been reassigned to direct the Johnny Quest movie. Well, all right then. <laughs> Which will be live action. They've been trying to make it for decades now. Ever since, um, ever for ever since, like the like the early nineties, they started working on it, and they still ain't made it. Um, <laughs> now it might be a little bit too late to make it. Well, we'll see what they do. Um, for those who don't know, Johnny Quest was a Hanna Barbera cartoon from nineteen sixty four. It came on. It came on in prime time Friday nights on ABC. Uh, it was about a boy, an 11 year old boy named Johnny Quest, who, him, his uh, scientist father, uh, Dr. Benson Quest, their bodyguard, Race Bannon, and his adopted um, brother, Haji from India, and their annoying dog, Bandit, because they played a Leave re- Bandit alone. They played a annoying. real dog's bark every time he barked, and the sound was terrible. So it was like all you heard was <laughs> on a loop every time the dog was on the screen. I hated it. Uh, <laughs> love the show hated the dog they went on mysteries and adventures across the globe basically because Dr. Quest was like doing all this tech for the US government and for the FBI and CIA and shit and so all the spies from every country on earth from Tibet and China to India to South America to the pygmies in Africa all wanted a piece of Dr. Quest to kidnap him and steal his secrets and stuff. And so they all tried to get at him or at Johnny and race it to throw barrels and boulders at people and stuff. And they had to shoot people dead with guns. There's a lot of violence on this program. It was very violent. I enjoyed the shit out of it. It ruined Saturday morning because they showed the reruns on Saturday morning and the parents protested. And that's why we have Scooby-Doo with no real ghost on it. True story. Right. Um, so here's the deal. <laughs> so here's... Okay. It may really be too late for this movie. It might be. It may really just be too late. <laughs> the reason why is because the plot you just explained mm-hmm. has been done to, to death. 
Yes. As a matter of fact, most kids He's nowadays every... think about this plot, they think of the Venture Brothers, which is a parody, a direct right. parody of Johnny Quest exactly. from Warner Brothers. <laughs> when, you're, when, when your parody is more popular than your source material, is it? we have a real problem. Is it? Yes, it is. <laughs> Nobody knows about Johnny Quest anymore. They know about Venture Brothers. Okay. <laughs> I'm just old. That is, that is the honest <laughs> to God truth. When your parody is better, is like, it's just more popular than your actual source material, that's crazy. The second thing is, you just explain a plot that's been done over and over again. This is every, this is all of um, um, Indiana Jones, James Bond, Thunderbirds. Um, well, Johnny Quest was inspired by James Bond. This is true, but I'm saying it's all of these other movies. These movies have already come out. It's already. But it's about it's a kid. Happening. That's the twist. It the kid is the lead matter. character. That doesn't matter it does because matter. we've done, it does because we've had stuff like that. We've had Thunderbirds was the family and the the young the young kids and the the adults and whatever. We've had other shows where they've been where it's it's, it's adventurers and you have kids. Honestly, it, it's like. Dude, we've this has been we've, do you feel, we've been through this. So do you feel like it's gonna get John Carter or Mars that basically that it's it's the original thing, but so many other people have caught it? What you're going to get is you're going to get the older people like like you know, Me. like us. <laughs> we're going to watch this, we're gonna probably watch this movie and we'll try to bring the younger people with us. But the young pe- younger people, the millennials, millennials don't know about that. And, and the millennials who probably watch it, they'll probably feel like as if they'll probably think, oh, this is a ripoff of Venture Brothers. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> or they'll think like, oh, this is this is Venture Brothers, but serious. Why would they do that? Well, they, they just took Venture Brothers. Because that's the other thing they, about they Johnny t- Quest. For a Henry Barbera show from the 60s, it is bone serious. There's a joke here and there yeah. in it, but they kill folks every week on Johnny Quest. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is, too, the people who know about Johnny Quest... There's gonna be thing pieces. Uh, oh, oh, you know oh, this. oh, oh. <laughs> there will be thing pieces. I guarantee there will be thing pieces. You could write because them down. You think, <laughs> because if you think you're gonna fuck around and put Haji in a turban in that movie, so so here's 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 what my stance on what they should do with Johnny Quest to make it work in an era of multiculturalism and Me Too and you know and diversity. Haji is important to that thing in and of himself as just as a character who is this Indian kid who's adopted by this American white family and is an integral part of it. He, in sort of the 90s version, he's like, because they've been as being like a year or two older than Johnny. So he's Dr. Quest is like understudy and assistant. Have him be right. that where he's the older voice of reason to Johnny. They get into bullshit because he's trying to keep Johnny from doing bullshit, basically. He's the smarter one and everything like that. Turban, no turban. That I, you know, that's up for debate. But do not make him do that magic shit from the original '60s show because he used to do like magic tricks, parlor tricks, uh, the 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 snake rope thing, the flute, and the, the flute with the, the, yeah, the, oh my yeah, God. like and like Sim Sim oh, Salabim, like does. tricks of the eye and stuff. In the '80s, he was doing real magic, like Sabrina the Teenage Witch. <sighs> that was I some just... bullshit. <laughs> but you can't no, do either anymore eyes. because it's racist. Racist, All so Indian racist. boys do not know how to do fucking magic. <laughs> Most of nobody <laughs> does, really. <laughs> Brandon, they cannot have him in a turban. They cannot have him. Give him a hat. In a turban. Give him a cute hat. <laughs> or, or you know what? Or you know what? 
if he's if he's in a you know what actually you know what I take that back I take that back because the turban oh, is actually the turban is actually um because not everybody who's wearing a turban is like a, I, how should I say a Sikh? they could they could they can make him a yeah, Sikh exactly. he has to wear a turban make him, because of yeah. his religion make him a Sikh so he has to you know he has to have a have a turban like because there are like how many times have you gone to to when you were on your university campus and you may have seen someone with a turban before I went to right? school with and kids who were Sikhs yeah. So just do just have him be Johnny's best friend and um, understudy. Yeah. And to to doctor to doctor um, Benton Quest. Doctor Benton, right? Benton Quest, and have him that that way. But you have to, you have to call it out. You can't just have it be just like as if it's like a decoration on his head. Right. Because in the original show, it was very clear he wasn't a seat because he had shorter hair. But the thing about exactly. Haji was Haji was the first character I saw in a cartoon show I actually liked who looked like me. That's probably why right. I gravitated towards him a little bit. So you you also have to have Haji. He has to, in my opinion, and I know we just had a whole conversation just the recently about let's have black and POC people just be themselves. But I'm sorry. You have to bring up the fact that Haji is Indian and he's surrounded by these people. Well, also, I was going to say, you need to bring in racist girlfriend, Jade. They used to call her Jezebel Jade in the old show. And the more modern shows and comics, they sort of kind of define her as being, quote unquote, Eurasian, you know, half white, half Asian. Have her be full Asian, 100%. Then you can cast Michelle Yeoh as uh, Jade. Don't call her Jezebel Jade. Just call her Jade, please. And have her daughter, Jessie, be in the show. In the cartoon, she was redheaded. Have Jessie be half white and half Asian because she's race banded and Jay's daughter. And there, bring them into the main cast as part of the main cast. Don't have them be as like on the supporter characters. Have This is your quest family. These one, two, three, four, five, six people and the dog. Yeah. So that's the other thing, too. You need a woman on that show. Yes. You need more than one. You need <laughs> because two. That's why you have you need- to bring in two. Yeah, you definitely do because it's it's a it's a meat fest. That oh, yeah. whole that whole show. It's very whew. But I feel yeah. like if so you, you do that, see that balance. And you So, yeah. Probably stay away from Dr. Zen, you know, cuz I don't think there's Stay away to- from every every <laughs> single villain that is brown and has a see hello Dr. Quest. Yes. As you see, my robot spy has returned to take your secrets and bring them back yeah. to me across the iron curtain. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Bathe us in your light. Anyways, so listen. <laughs> y'all really y'all don't, know, y'all don't know how much we're saving y'all from, from, from saying this shit. Because if we don't preview this, y'all are gonna walk right I need into to trailer. be on the development committee for this for this film. I need to be there. Because I know it's gonna be all white people and like two white women. I need to be there. I need I need to be the the, the um, Jamal in the room to stop whatever bullshit is about to happen on this on this film. Because <laughs> I like the show, I love the show enough to where I w- I want the show, the movie to be made, but I want to make sure it gets adapted properly for this current audience. And they take the shit that I didn't like because it was racist out of the formula. <laughs> it's like Ali if they were making the Jazam picture and they kept Steamboat in it. 
Oh, God. And, but they tried to make him like, Steamboat's Billy Basson's uh, tutor. And uh, <laughs> that's what putting Zen in this movie would be like. You can't clean, there's no way to clean up Dr. Zen. He was a race, both a racist and a anti-communist panic villain from the 60s. You just can't do it. I, I actually thought about it all week after they announced they're making this movie. I thought about it like what, like from Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. I was like, can you put Zen as the villain of this movie? And I decided, no, it's just too dangerous. There's nothing you can do because as soon as you put them in, they're going to pull up footage from 64 and put it on Good Morning America. <laughs> and you're going to have Vic Perrin doing that racist accent. Hello, Dr. Quest. And we're in trouble. <laughs> You are asked to sit there and defend Haji. You can't defend Haji and Zen simultaneously. You just can't. <laughs> Agreed. All right. Woo. Okay. Now it's time for the SSN challenge. And we then we get out of here. I've been ranting a lot today. I got a lot of I got a lot of, of passion today. <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna get this um, recording back as we all peaks. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it's all red. All right. So first up, um, problematic white people. So mm-hmm. Green Book. And yeah, Green Book is a new motion picture that's coming out um, that stars, um, well, apparently, according to uh, the studio stars, uh, <laughs> uh, Vigo Mortensen, <laughs> as a driver, a white driver for Mahershala Ali, who's playing a famous uh, jazz musician. And they're, they're traveling through the South. It's called Green Book because Green, the Green Book was a publication from that time, from like the 40s through, I'm guessing the 70s. They might still print them. They still had a Green Book. Okay, they still print them. Basically, that tells you of all of the safe places, if you are a person of color traveling through the Deep South, these are the places where you can stop at where you won't be shot, killed, robbed, murdered, maimed, or whatever else. Or ran out by the Klan. Or ran out by the Klan. <laughs> and so the clan is not gonna run you out. They're going to straight up lynch you. Let's let's be clear. No, 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 no literally, they'll run you they out. do run you out. They'll run you out. They'll run you out. They'll yeah, before, before I have they friends lynch you. who have literally been ran out of, of the county, especially considering in some cities the clan actually ran the police uh you know, department. Right. So they would just run you out by following until you got outside of their territory and then turn around. Yep. Uh, wow. Can I tell you a secret about the clan, Ali? They bitches. They they yeah. they, they will throw rocks and Try to get you to go away before they ever actually try to get up in your face and fight you. Which is oh, why when they do when they, they which is why right which is why when they do uh, assault you in the middle of the night they come get you while you sleep. Right. I see. I thought they were just bold enough to just no. do stuff in broad. Nah. You should see black clansmen. Okay. <laughs> I, mis- <laughs> I misunderstood them. A couple of them, like I mean, all of them are dumb to some degree, but some of them are just straight up fucking real stupid. But so Vigo yeah. Mortensen was on a panel at a screening. Uh, let me see where they were. They were at um, the ArcLight Hollywood after a screening of the movie, and they were talking about um, how we've had racial progress in America, according to uh, Mr. <laughs> Mortensen, because no one says nigger anymore. <laughs> but you just casually said it because you can. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that shows our that show, that actually does definitely show our racial progress where people are not white people are not racist anymore because they can casually say nigger and nobody will care. Right. Yes. And so people so, are tweeting about so it. We, I'm sorry, go ahead. So we clearly so how how much of his face is still there after the dragging? 
<laughs> so people tweeted about it at while they were still at the uh, Q&A. And of course, you know, next thing you know, it's a full-blown scandal on social media, which it deserves to be because the, the, the fuck. Um, and so he had to issue an apology. I don't know if I want to read it. I'll read part of it. It's long. Um, in making the point that many people casually use the N-word at the time in which the movie story takes place in 1962, I used the full word. Although my intention was to speak strongly against racism, I have no right to even imagine the hurt that is caused by hearing that word in any context, especially from a white man. Oh, really? I do not use the word in private or in public. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But you... But you just, but you, but you. I am very sorry that I did use the full word last night and will not utter it again. Let me, Carolyn and I got the same thought. Because listen here, if there's a word that I don't say in private or in public, would I have to to say it for whatever reason? It's going to be a hesitation, a pause. Do I, can I, should I really say this? That's going to stop me from, you see it struggle out of my mouth. By all accounts, this flowed out of his mouth like milk and honey. I'm going to tell you what it was. I'm going to tell you exactly what it was. So, you know, this was the theme of the whole panel, right? This was the the topic of discussion. Right. Okay. So he had already thought of this. And it's kind of like what not uh, what uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates said, that it's like white people just be itching for a reason to say (laughs) Nick. Like he he knew. Okay, we won't talk about this. I'm going. This is where I get to say the word because of the topic. It's okay. I'm going to say it. And then he said it. And then, wait, they what they said, some lady said, don't say that. I'm just going to say, bitch, what? What you mean? <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is, it really does feel like as if, like, oh shit, here's, yeah. my, here's, here's my chance. Here's my chance to do it. <laughs> it is my time. Right. I am going to be the one to say it and not get. <laughs> but up. but also, like I said, when, when we talked about it on Facebook, it's also on, well, not on the organizer, but the organizers were stupid because just because this man is in basically the reverse version of uh, um, Driving Miss Daisy don't mean that he is the person that needs to be on a panel about racial progress. And I'm so sick of people what, assuming the, the, that people are in these co- these movies and that makes them authorities on racism and racial topics. Well, the thing is, that's what, uh, un, uh, what with the movie like this, they're going to ask you about that topic because that's what the movie's about. Right. But I think what has to happen is that you have to have better prepared answers. Like you yeah, and Mahershali and the production team have to sit down and the PR people have to sit down and come up with better your food done. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. That was me trying to stop the, uh, the heater. Okay. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. With, with better answers, you know, better rehearsed answers that don't involve saying offensive words like like the N-word, you know, because you're going to, because like the thing is, a movie like Green Book, he's going to get asked that question at every Q&A he has to do, which will be, if it gets nominated for shit, through March. So, it's almost a relief he felt up now and not in... February, when people had ballots in their hands about vote for the yeah. movie for best picture or whatever. So, and this will probably still affect that anyway. They'll probably be like, there's, there's still mm-hmm. better questions that he has. He's going to have questions about, you know, racism in the film, blah, blah. But I still feel like the question itself is just not a question that you need to be asking some um, white man. Right. Like, you about know, a question about racial question. progress. Yeah. Like, what? It'd be better to keep it to talking about the movie and the themes and the tone and the setting of the movie. Ask him what the fuck he learned. And also, <laughs> and also, why you ask him who the fuck he voted for. That's what I say. That's the only thing you need to ask him. Right. And so Mahershala Ali did say that, you know, like, that Vigo uh, Mortison, 
he made it clear to me that he's aware of this and he apologized profusely immediately following the Q&A with Elvis Mitchell. Knowing his intention was to express that removing the N-word from your vocabulary doesn't necessarily disqualify a person as racist or participating in actions or thoughts that are bigoted, I can accept his and embrace his apology. Uh, and his excellent and poignant thought was unfortunately shadowed by voicing the word in its fullness, which for me is always hurtful. The use of the word within the black community has long been debated and its use should, be, should continue to be examined within. No, sorry, Marshala, I love you. Niggas. No, we go say nigga in black community. We, we, uh, listen, every community, every ethnic group had, has taken the word that white people have invented to try to hurt them and turned it around and use it as a term of every endearment. Every single one. Every single last one. The Latin people, Italians, um, Jewish people, they have all done this. It's only with black folks that we try to sit here and police our usage of the of the word. Like, maybe not a mixed company, no, but we can't be like, black people shouldn't say it. Every, the white people, get, the ethnic shouldn't white folks get to it. say it. But this is what I'm <laughs> saying about Mahershal uh, Ali being a, a real nigga in this moment. Because all he is trying to do is make Vigo feel better. Like, yeah. that was what that statement was all about, was trying to make Vigo feel better and make sure that he understood and told people he's not a racist white man. And I get so sick of niggas doing this again for their white friends. Because that's when Are you... Are they were, friends? You, I think they're just coworkers. Well, in, um, <laughs> in the context of this, yes. He's trying to make him feel better because they co-workers or friends or whatever that they are. But this is what people do. They want to make their friend or their co-worker feel better in, in their company by making sure that they know and people around them know and other black folks that listen to them know this person's not racist. Yes, the fuck he is. Right. How about that? Ali, you've been quiet. You got anything else to add to us over here? Yeah, I'm just, I'm honestly, this is just, it's happening too much. Like, it's just, there are too many times when this is this is going on. Like, I don't want to hear this, this, this nonsense, and I damn sure don't want to hear any black person cape for mm-hmm. any any racist person, any, any, sorry, any undercover racist person pulling that bullshit trick, all right? We all know that, you know, you probably say that word regularly in the con- in, in the confines of your own home or within the private conversations with your own friends. I think for sure that you saw the opportunity to use that word under the guise of, oh, we're having a, a, a serious con- conversation about race, as it as it pertains to you know uh, black people and this movie that I'm trying to promote, and you thought you thought you come outside your neck and say that word without getting any kind of um, retaliation. Well, guess what? It did happen. Mm-hmm. What you need to do is just straight up say, "Hey, I apologize." You know, this will not happen again in public, but don't go any further than that because everything you say after that, people will not believe you. Right. Right. And then Mahershala Ali, you know, kudos to you for, for being that kind of friend who wants to, to or co-worker who wants to, you know, be a, you know, be a good co-worker, be a good friend or whatever. But let's be completely honest. Like, <laughs> whether or not you knew this guy before, clearly he wasn't what you thought. <laughs> so, so just, yeah, let's just leave it at that. Yeah. All right. Next up. Um, do y'all know Ennio uh, Morricone? 
I know that what? face, but I didn't know who he was. All right, so he is a very famous composer, um, Italian composer of film scores for a whole lot of movies, most of them westerns from back in the day. Uh, the most famous one is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, The uh, Woo! That's his. Okay. <laughs> um, he did the score to The Hateful Eight, the Quentin Tarantino movie from 2014? Question mark? Give me a second. I'm going to check that. 15, 2015. Um, and according to Playboy Germany, he has some words about Quentin Tarantino. <clears throat> this man is a cretin, Morricone said. He just steals from others and puts it together again. There is nothing original about that. And he is not a director either. So not comparable, so not comparable to real Hollywood greats like John Houston, Alfred Hitchcock, or Billy Wilder. They were great. Tarantino is just cooking up old stuff. He goes on to admit he's in the fan of Tarantino's films, calling them trash. Tarantino was present when Morricone received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in February 2016. But apparently, um, Mr. Morricone said, they a lie. I ain't said this shit. <laughs> now, mind you, um, he is how old? Gotta be 80-something. Gotta be 80-something. Uh, 90. Just turned 90. His birthday was yesterday. Bless his heart. <laughs> um, he said that he didn't say that shit. And um, it has come to my attention that Playboy Germany has come out with an article in which I have stated extremely negative comments about Tarantino and his films. And the Academy also said that the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences was trash. Even after they gave him his award finally for the Hateful Eight for the um, best score of 2016. I have never expressed any negative statements about the Academy, Quentin, or his films. I certainly do, I certainly do not consider his films garbage. I have given a mandate to my lawyer in Italy to take civil and penal action. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened in real life. And, well, this, is, this is my fan fiction. I don't know if this is what really happened. This nigga was senile. He said that shit. He meant it. Then he forgot. <laughs> That's what I think happened. Because it's too, it's too much of a big-ass paragraph. If, if they really lied to him, they lied to him some serious. <laughs> I want to see where this shit goes. This might be our investigative report and we keep following this story. I want to see where this end up. So I want to see if Playboy Germany come out Monday morning like, no, bitch, we got the tape. <laughs> well, we got receipts. Yes, we do. And finally, some good news. Um, so as you all know... Um, Miss Megan Kelly is no longer the host of the 9 o'clock hour on the Today Show. Uh, she still is technically an employee of, a of NBC because they don't know what to do with her because they don't want to pay her uh, whatever, $50 million they still owe her. $69 million contract. 69. 69. My God. They couldn't give Tamara Hall $10 million, but they want to give um, her $69 million. Okay, that's fine. So, um... They had put up the ratings for the first week of November for the um, Today Show. And the ratings for the whole entire show of the Today Show actually dropped a little bit from 3.8 million to 3.7 million from the week when Megan Kelly was on this week when she was off. But not during her hour. During the 9 a.m. hour of the Today Show, the ratings went up 5%. 
from 2.5 million to 2.64 million viewers for that particular hour. So it seems to me that having Megyn Kelly be the host of that show and paying her all that money was not helping boost the ratings. It was hampering them. Because certain white white women who are uh, 9 o'clock in the morning having their coffee and shit and everything as they in the break room or whatever or at home, you know, if they have like a job at home or whatever like that, they didn't want to see that bitch. <laughs> and when she was gone, they're like, oh, I can watch the program again. Praise Jesus. <laughs> Let me tune in and see what Hoda and Al Oroker, who are the hosts now at the 9 o'clock hour, are talking about. <laughs> So that shit is funny. They pay her all that money and they were fucking up their own shit. If that isn't a word. <laughs> hmm. Mm. All right. And before we go, I did want to read. So um, our resident super fan, Keith Claw, um, he had a comment about episode 267, which is titled Not Today, Megan Kelly. All right. Uh, and it's about, we took covered a story about Apu, the character from The Simpsons, the Indian character from The Simpsons, who they're going to just ride out versus trying to make him a better, less racist, stereotypical character. So this is what um, Claw had to say. Okay, this was the episode with the Apu commentary. I agree that Apu shouldn't be written out. It's a total cop-out. I also felt that before the criticism really started rolling in that, the writers had at times taking links to humanize him and make him less of a stereotype, if only still problematic because of the nature of his character's looks and the voice actor, who is Hank Azaria, who is a white man doing a really over-the-top Indian accent. My favorite thing about Apu is that he drove a 1970s firebrand like Bandit from Smokey, from Smokey and the Bandit. If they recast Apu and do more with him at, so as to expand on what they've already established, that would be fine. Better than that bro rider response they've given where the heat was turned on, that one they gave in the actual episode, which was trash. There is an article I read about this that had a different take as to what to do with the poo. Uh, it's basically saved, like an article written by uh, Baskar, Baskar Sankara, who said, don't get rid of Apu, he's a hero to many of us. Which is like, you know, it's the alternate uh, take on the whole Apu thing. Because uh, some people, they like representation like at all costs. And some people want to see, would rather not have representation if it's going to be problematic in any form. And that's that's the debate basically that, you know, everybody has to have for themselves as viewers and creatives. I sort of kind of fall in the middle on that. You know, not to, and I was, usually it's a case-by-case basis for me with Black stuff. But, you know, most Indian people seem like they want the character to stay and be improved upon, but the people who write in the show seem like they just want to avoid it because they don't, they are just afraid, I guess, of the controversy in general. So, all right, but yeah, so that's been our show for this week. Thanks everybody so much for listening. Um, if you enjoyed our show, please go to iTunes and to Stitcher and rate us five stars. It really helps out with the show and the ratings and everything like that. You can find our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Acast and tune in wherever those great podcasts can be found. We are on all social media under the handle at SSM Podcast. We are at SSMPodcast.com. And Carolyn, 
Where can people find you and the C-Dub show online? People can find the C-Dub show across all social media platforms as the C-Dub show. That includes Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if for whatever reason you cannot type in SSN Podcast, I don't know what's wrong with your fingers, but you can also type in the CDubshow.com and find us as well. Mm-hmm. All right. And Ali, where can people find you online? Yep. Say something nice podcast, uh, Facebook group, and um, SSN podcast on those um, social media platforms. Yep. And for me, you can find me at, at BTouch on Instagram and on Twitter. This has been the Say Something Nice podcast. This is Ali. This is Carolyn. And this is Mr. Mind. <laughs> My evil worm. We'll see y'all later. Okay. <laughs> the Mr. Mind character, I swear. <laughs> I would, I would, I would. <laughs>